Hey, what's up? Welcome to Movie Dumpster Season 3, Episode 13. Today we're talking about The Stepfather from 1987, directed by Joseph Rubin. I'm Joel Scola. I'm Sean O'Rourke. I'm Connor. Who am I here again? McGraw. Welcome to The Dumpster. You look at this. I swear they'll print anything to make a buck. Just simple sensation. That's all. It's weird, that's all. What's that, Herb? Oh, that guy in Bellevue who killed his whole family. Cut him up with knives. I don't think I know about that. Uh, happened last year. That's what I was talking about. Now, this this thing's a year old, and then they go raking it up again. Mm. This is terrible. Jerry. Jerry. You all right? This kind of thing really gets to me, you know. That a man could be driven to do something like that to his own family, to his children. I don't even want to know about it. Makes you wonder, though. What's it take to make a guy turn his family into gamesbreakers? Maybe they disappointed him. Creepy motherfucker. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> Fucking Stepfather's Day. Yeah, happy uh, Father's Day to everyone out there. Can we make that a thing, Happy Stepfather's Day? Uh, I mean, I don't have a stepfather, so I can't really say it, but I, I don't see why not. But there's a lot of people out there that do, you know? I have one, but... I choose not to acknowledge that. Is it Terry O'Quinn? No. no. <laughs> okay, good. Thank fucking God it's not. <laughs> yeah. At yeah. least the Terry O'Quinn in this movie. I mean, if it was John Locke from Lost, I'd be kind of okay with that because I love that character. Yeah, so so this is our this is our Father's Day episode, and it, this is dropping the Friday right before Father's Day, so it's our little special event, what have you, in honor of the Stepfather series. Uh, we're talking about the first one today, but uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the series as a whole and and the uh <clears throat> remake <clears throat> oh yeah that um that's that's the cinnamon equivalent of a bottle of zequil <laughs> oh boy um um why is that i haven't seen it in fact i didn't even know it existed until about two days ago no yeah <laughs> sean i said yeah we can talk about the remake and sean goes there's a remake i was like yeah. <laughs> came, out, came out in 09 and it went off like a fart in the fucking wind sure did what even is it? And you want to know why it did? Because the movie sucks. It is tame and boring. And here's the thing. Without getting too far ahead of ourselves, there's a shot in the first four minutes of this movie that is so shocking and appalling and effective. And in its 90-minute runtime, the Stepfather remake doesn't even come close to that level of like no. intentional discomfort. No. Well, it opens. So I guess we can just talk about the remake a little bit first, and then we can talk about the, the two uh, original sequels, but anyway, so the remake, you know, the Stepfather remake 2009, uh, from Screen Gems, I think they were, weren't they doing, like, Scream Gems at that time or whatever, with the red logo or whatever, some shit, I feel like I remember that. I don't know, but I hate it. Uh, yeah, it sucks. They were like, hey, Platinum Dunes is remaking Texas Chainsaw Massacres. Again? Again, for the third time. <laughs> we got Renee Zellweger in there, we got Matthew McConaughey, it's gonna be a banger. <laughs> it's called Leather Faces. <laughs> That's... That's the next generation in, like, 94 or something like that. Um, so, yeah, the new one is just, like, it's basically 
the same flick, but with all the bite taken out of it. Like, yep. Connor said it perfectly in the beginning. Like, the opening shot of the film is almost kind of like verbatim, uh, except not effective at all. Like, yeah. there's no, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it, but like, it takes place on Christmas Day, and I guess that's supposed to be more horrific but like open up your present and just get fucking shot (laughs) stabbed to death up sorry little johnny i gotta tell you something there's not an ounce of blood on this whole family and they're just kind of sleeping all over the house yeah in the beginning of the remake and it's just like okay and it's and when this dude i forget who the actor is but like when he like quote unquote transforms himself like he just looks like the same dude well what's the point exactly it's one of those things where it feels kind of like the black. Okay, so it's like the it's it's kind of more like the Black Christmas remake without all the gore in it, uh, where like they take that angle of like, uh, you know, it, it fucking opens right out of the gate with like this police lore dump, like yeah, and he's just and it's it's this guy and he's and he goes family to family and he kills all these fucking people and blah blah blah. Don't know where he is, couldn't catch him, but maybe he's here. Maybe he's using cash instead of credits instead of photo IDs, and that's how he's jumping around all the places. And they fucking cram this into like a minute, and it's like that's your whole story. Just insert a shot, Doctor Hibbert from The Simpsons, going, "I can't solve this mystery. Can you?" Basically. So they so they take basically the plot that is. <laughs> strewn over like an hour and a half of this film and they cram it into fucking 60 seconds and then the rest of the movie is like limping to the finish line because it's just like they have to add to it right because they just told their whole story and like you get introduced to the character before he even like gets with this woman to like marry her you know what i mean yeah uh it's like all of that bullshit that you don't need to see uh so in this movie, I read that there was, like, some backstory to Terry O'Quinn's character that they cut out because they felt like it was creepier not to know why he was, like, fucked in the head. Do they show all that in the remake? Um, no. Okay. Just curious. That's But but they do it in part two. Ah, <laughs> so, uh, okay, yeah. As far as the remake goes, um, one of my biggest problems with that is that in 1987, this premise works because of limited tech. Yes. Um, you can be off the grid way easier. Um, people are not as connected. And even as, you know, as far back as back in 2009, like, some, if someone sees your face in a photograph, Reddit will have identified you in 55 seconds. Like, yeah, that's the problem with the remake. It, it just doesn't fucking work. No. And the only reason the movie keeps going is just f- willful ignorance from the characters. Like, yeah, they're like. You know, April O'Neil is in it, and she's and she's like the friend to to the the main woman, and she's like she's like yeah, I don't even fucking know this guy, and he won't turn in like his paperwork for his fucking like or his social security card or anything to like get paid or like get put on the books and shit, and it's like red flag after red flag after red flag, but she's just like oh I don't care I'm in love I don't give a shit, <laughs> and it's just like mind your business <laughs> this is so stupid and there's like. It's like a family of five kids, so you can't really connect with any of them, but you're supposed to try to connect with, like, the oldest boy or whatever, and then there's, like, an ex-husband element that's in it, and it's like, this is just overstuffed. You you blew your wad in that fucking 60 seconds in the beginning, and now we're just overstuffing this movie with horse shit. Um... Anyway, that movie fucking blows, and it ends with like there, there's not a drop of gore in it. There's no there's no redeeming qualities to it. it. It's just like an hour and a half of just like egregious butt shots of Amber Heard, and then like, <laughs> and then like 
the all this kid like wrestles with this quote unquote stepfather TM and like fucking they fall off a roof and then go into a coma and the kid wakes up and he's like what happened and his mom's like oh you've been in a coma for six months and he's like where's where's David or whatever that's his name in the in the remake and she's like we don't know when the police showed up he was gone welp credits and there was a strange man with a revolver yelling how he shot him six times and he wouldn't leave the property. <laughs> <laughs> Six times! In fact, it wasn't Loomis. It was actually David, but he had, like, a different fucking uh, wig on, so no one could really tell. Already, oh, my God. He already swapped identity. I shot him six times! You kind of look like the guy. I shot him six times! Is that guy doing a Loomis impression from Halloween? Where the fuck did he come from? <laughs> Donald Pleasance is standing there watching this. I'm like, yeah, he's pretty good at it, actually. It's fucking Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> You're not as loud as I am. It's not working quite as well. I definitely didn't die in the first one. I swear to God, it's not true. Um, You know, obviously he's not dead. But then, like, the next shot, again, this man just looks like he has the entire movie, except now he has, like, a semi-mullet. I remember that shot specifically, and it's hysterical. And it's just like, he doesn't look different at all. He has no facial accessories. He doesn't change his hair. Um, he doesn't, like, grow a big, thick beard or anything like that. He just is like, now I'm business in the front and party in the back. I'm different now. I'm all different now. It's really fucking bad. Um, I'll be, I'll be brief on the two sequels because I did, there's a little bit, there was a little bit more for the remake that I wanted to unpack. It's just, like, sure ridiculous how much trash, how much just, like, superfluous garbage is in the film. And there's no tension because we're running around with fucking six different characters. And also... Like, the stepfather is, like, very brazen about what he does. He's not about family or, or like, preserving the, the, the all-American family or whatever. He's just... He's he's more of, like, like a drifter or, like, a leech, rather. Yeah. Huh. Rather than, like, a very smart, uh, calculated, methodical killer. And he, like... Like, so much so that, like, he keeps, like an evidence locker in the basement just full of shit that he, like, uh, of people that he killed. So he comes from, like, the Valentine school of slasher killers, essentially. He's, uh, he's the Walmart brand Borgman. Yeah, it's really bad. Like, it's just, like, I don't know. It, everything falls apart, and it's just, like, this is stupid. Like, why is it, the mo- the character motivations and all that kind of shit are just really, really terrible. I was gonna say, but on, on the flip side, you're talking about how this guy was in crafty or intelligent or really, like, planning anything out. Uh, Terry O'Quinn's character, on the other hand, is one crafty motherfucker. Oh, yeah. No, that, but that's the whole allure to that character. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, that, that, that that's kind of the crutch to his... Uh, how would I word this? Like, the way he operates. Yeah. And, like, the guy's motivations in the remake aren't even, like, we're gonna keep this family together. That's, like, there for, like, five seconds, and then he's just like, "Eh, well, people are... People are doing stuff. It's more about him getting found out than it is about him trying to preserve this crazy, uh, uh, fantasy in his head. Right? And that's where it fails because again it's like he's just like a criminal on the loose trying to hide out you know what i mean rather than yeah a like a fucking psychopath <laughs> with a split personality yeah, yeah but yeah so so just jumping back real quick so uh the sequel to the first film that we're talking about today is um make room for daddy which terry o'quinn reprises his role Ugh. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, that, sub- that subtitle hurt my feelings. <laughs> Dude, I love it. Terry made a little money, and he said, yeah, I'll come back for the sequel. Why not? Ooh. Uh... It's not bad. It's not as good as the first one, obviously. And it's way more, like, slapsticky. Like, he becomes Freddy Krueger in the second movie. Come on. I don't like that. It, it, it's not bad i mean we got meg we got meg foster in it uh we got jonathan brandis in it r.i.p caroline williams is in it um it's it actually kind of it's weird because it plays out like a friday movie at first because it's like here's the recap of the end of the first movie and here he is now oh really yeah because i i haven't seen the sequel how does he survive getting stabbed in the chest pushed down a flight of stairs and shot three times spoilers That's what happens at the end of the episode. Well, you know, if you're listening to this show, we just assume you've watched the movie already. Sure. If not, well, that's how it goes. Yeah, he so so at the end of the film he gets stabbed in the fucking heart, right? And at the beginning of the second film, he it just like opens up and he's in a corrections facility, not a like like a what? mental <laughs> like in a mental institution, and he has like uh it looks like a scar from open heart surgery and then the scar where the knife was and he's fine. What? And then he, like, he escapes and, like, becomes, he, like, poses as, like, a marriage counselor and then, like, preys upon Meg Foster and Jonathan Brandis. Um, he might as well have, like, woke up at, <laughs> woke up and had, like, a flask in his pocket at that point. Right. And it's one of those things where it's, like, I don't, f- well, we'll get to the final thoughts. But, like, so at the end of part two, it's funny because, like, they're just, like, obsessed with chest wounds because Jonathan Brandis fucking hits him with a claw hammer in the chest and like impales him in the chest and he presumably dies or whatever but that sounds like game over yeah you would think again except for stepfather part three we can rebuild him <laughs> he's like the fucking uh the the, the bionic man six million dollar stepdad oh there you go <laughs> this house is for a family you know what i mean a family home sweet home all that crap <laughs> <laughs> um come to daddy uh so uh so yeah so stepfather three terry o'quinn is not in it thank god okay and even he was like i'm not doing this shit because it opens up and it's basically the scene from batman when joker like gets his face fixed from the dude are you <laughs> fucking kidding me he he has a fucking sack over his head, and he meets that guy uh, from Anniversary Dinner, the Tales from the Dark Side episode. I've, I don't know the actor's name. Anyway, when I saw him, I was like, holy shit. Uh, yeah, he fucking has, like, a sack over his head, and the guy's like, oh, that, that's enough money. Sure, I'll fucking rebuild your face. It's like a back alley, like, uh, plastic surgeon, and he, like, rebuilds his face on, like, a dock or some shit, like, in a, in a, on a barge. Oh, my God. So the way that they kind of write that off is just, like, Oh, well, Terry O'Quinn survived, uh, and then he got plastic surgery, so nobody knows that it's him. And he sounds totally different, but don't worry about it. Did the plastic surgeon fix his ribcage, chest, lungs, and any anything else that must have been damaged in that fall? No, because he we see him walking there right in the beginning of the film. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I don't know how the fuck that happens, but okay. The million-dollar O'Quinn. There's like a crippled kid, but he's psychosomatically paralyzed right so he's so he's in a wheelchair most it's like rear window kind of okay where like he's like a computer whiz and he really likes crime games and stuff and basically the movie is him kind of piecing together 
uh, you know, the real identity of this guy and, like, how he got plastic surgery or whatever because I saw the scars on him or something, question mark. I better call Shia LaBeouf. Dude, it's fucking shitty. Like, it's really, really bad. And fucking uh, Priscilla Barnes is in it, uh, the, the chick who filled in for Suzanne Summers from uh, <laughs> Three's Company. Yes. Yeah, she plays the mom, the, the you know, the prey in this one. But, like, again... They throw out all the kind of ideals that the first one kind of builds on, and then, like, they just... Like, he he preys on Priscilla Barnes, but then, like, also has an affair with this other woman, which totally goes against, like, his psychos... His, like, psychosis? Yeah, that kind of... That flies in the face of his very clearly established motivations. Yeah, it defeats the whole purpose of the thing, so then, like, I don't know. Uh, So then they kind of meet up with each other at the end, and then, like, he has to, like, you know, the chick, the one chick finds out that he's having an affair with, that he has to kill, and then Priscilla Barnes finds out that, like, he's cheating on her with with this woman, but he's been killing people the whole time. And then the psychosomatically paralyzed kid gets out of his chair and pushes the stepfather TM into a fucking wood chipper and then ends the entire series. <laughs> I'd like to see part four now. Uh, yeah, I want to see like just like a severed hand just like crawling along the fucking sidewalk. <laughs> oh, dude, they're going to rebuild him better and stronger for sure. Idle hands? Yeah. Oh my God, he's the hand. Oh my God, he's the hand. <laughs> he's the demon hand. Or he's thing, he's thing. There you go. The MDU, you cannot kill the stepfather. Right before he died, he made a pact with a demon. Just fucking crawls up to the Adams family house and gets a job. Oh, no, that was after. Uh, that's what I'm saying. After he comes out of that wood chipper. Oh, wait, there you go. The left hand is the idle hand, and the right hand is thing. <laughs> yeah, well, same actor. We've talked about it in the past. No, I know, but the stepfather hands <laughs> are, are thing and idle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's like the good, good and evil half of him. Yeah. Sure. Do they have a fucking sword fight, and then one of them does the quickening at the end? Like... <laughs> He grows, like, three more fingers or something. Oh, my God. That's a fucking visual. Thumb War Endgame. So we have uh, Joe Rubin directing this film, who's also done the amazing Dreamscape with Dennis Quaid. I love that film. Um, And he's also... He also did The Good Son. Yes. My God, what a fucked up movie. Oh, my God. That movie... Um... Pretty fucking great, but disturbing. When I... I remember watching The Good Son as a kid, and it freaking me out, because... The killer was my age. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's and it's fucking Kevin McAllister on top of that. Yeah, it's Macaulay Culkin and and fucking um Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood, and I always like pictured myself as Elijah Wood, and it always freaked me out the scene where he fucking uh, is skating with a little girl and like throws her out onto the fucking uh, thin ice, and she goes under. Yeah, man, that made my skin crawl when I was a kid. Yeah, spoilers to what a thirty year old film, but the part like literally right at the end when he's hanging off the fucking cliff and Macaulay Culkin's like standing over him. Yeah, that is like burned in my mind. Yeah, man, it's creepy. I feel like that and like Hannah rocks the cradle and Stepfather would be a great like trilogy to watch. Oh yeah, if if only the orphan uh, wasn't quite so uh, laughable, you could throw that in there. Uh. <laughs> That real story is fucking freaky, dude. There are four great seconds of that movie, and that's when Vera Farminga kicks that girl in the fucking face. <laughs> <laughs> that that's it's based on a uh, supposedly true story, but they like can't find the girl. Um, and I've seen pictures of her. It's really it's a really weird fucking thing, man. And uh, this movie, before we lose it, uh, this movie is based on the murders 
real-life murders committed by a man named John List, who killed yes. five members of his family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from New Jersey. Thank you very much. Thanks, John. Yeah, thanks. Uh, we're known for some tomatoes and John List, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and summer traffic. Bon Jovi and uh, murdering your family. Sweet. Um, yeah, he, you know, I mean, I don't want to get into a true crime podcast at this moment, but, I mean, maybe we can hashtag it now that we've put a little bit of dip in there. But anyway, uh... Yeah, he was, like, uh, uh, the basis for this film, this the stepfather, the original 1987 stepfather that we're talking about today, um, John List was the inspiration for the the main antagonist. Um, as far as his motivations, like, John List, like, thought his family was, like, straying from their religious path and, like, not being the family that they should have been, so he fucking <laughs> killed them all. And changed his identity and like eluded police for years. Yeah, eighteen years. He dude, he moved fucking from like to Minnesota to to Colorado, and he settled in Denver. And he only even got caught because America's America's Most Wanted did like a a story on him, and they they I watched a video on it, and they did basically like a sculpt of his head, like what he might look like, and it looked exactly like him. Yeah, man, those forensic uh, artists, investigators. John Walsh is a real life superhero. Like, yeah, <laughs> that guy catches actual monsters. Yeah. yeah, man. Well, yeah, because they they took his son, and he like dedicated his life to that. You know. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, John List died at 82 from pneumonia in prison. Good. Fuck him. Yeah, good. <laughs> yep. Go fuck. Good. Fuck you. Do you guys want to do a plot crunch for this movie, or unless you had something else you wanted to say to set this up? No, no, no. I just wanted, we want, I wanted to get the trivias out of the way so we can roll on this boy. Yeah, so the stepfather. I guess the, the, the plot crunch for this movie is Terry O'Quinn, as we've kind of talked about already a little bit. Uh, he's, he's a serial murderer and he murders families specifically that he basically ingrains himself in with the idea that he is going to have the perfect American family. And, uh, when shit starts to hit the fan, he just, instead of trying to fix it, he just gives up and murders everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and he changes his appearance. Mm-hmm. So he, he kills families and he, he, he starts a new family and you go through this movie while the daughter kind of starts figuring it out and, and you see bursts of him kind of losing it throughout the film until, Essentially, it collapses due to him, you know, not being able to handle his own mental stability. And uh, we have a fucking showdown between him, yeah. uh, his new wife, and his stepdaughter. And uh, that that's the gist of it. Yeah, it's a Patrick Bateman thing where, like, he's got to do too much shit at once. Right. I, I do love that at this point in his story, we are meeting him at the point where it's, like, it's one too many. Where the, the balancing act of, like, how many different identities have you had is no longer sustainable. Sure. That's the beauty of this. Yeah. And like we said at the beginning, this is not a slasher movie. No, it's a psychological thriller. Um, And it feels more like a psychological deconstruction of a fucking madman. Yeah, and the people that have to fucking deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. Man, there are, I mean, we'll get to it, but there are some scenes where there's a lot of very impactful shit going on in this movie starting with the first scene yeah my goodness jesus christ it, this <laughs> bathroom looks like it's like fucking henry portrait of a serial killer man like it's fucking <laughs> it the lighting in this film is so creepy and it, it's great it looks like every time they're in a house 
it's like a haunted house, right? There's it, it's like this greenish kind of tinge to the bathroom and the fucking the sun's coming in. And there's like you got that fucking like foggy kind of dusty uh, 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 atmosphere going on in this bathroom. Yeah. And he walks into it covered in blood, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. It's all over his face, all over his hands and shit. Yeah. He's caked. And, and at this point in the film, which Connor kind of alluded to earlier, uh, he has a full beard, glasses, full head of hair. Um and he, he just starts stripping down. Yeah. And uh, washing his hands. Something for the ladies, dude. You get a little fucking terry sausage in this scene. <laughs> sausage and buns. Yeah, you get the bun and you get the buns too. There you go. I don't know if you were asking for it, but there it is. And he's he's uh he's taking all his uh, effects and throwing them in like in a suitcase. And like the towels that he he wipes his hands off with get thrown in there. It's very procedural. Yes. He knew exactly what the fuck he was doing. Oh yeah. And going to do. Like it's very calculated because he's like, here's my fucking briefcase of shit and he like pulls out like a a laminated fucking suit and like hangs it up and like all this shit well and he cuts his hair and he cuts his fucking beard off he's got like an afro and like and like really he's got like a real scraggly beard and shit and these fucking giant uh sunglasses he looks like jeffrey Dahmer, kind of yeah yeah um and the nature in which he's getting rid of these things is not someone who is being careful because this is his first time off camera, he is just underhanding this shit into the suitcase like he oh, doesn't yeah. give a fuck. It's just no. slapping over the inside. Like, yeah, another another J on the job. Yeah, the, like the lenses pop out of the glasses that he throws. <laughs> yeah, because he doesn't need them. And then, like, he puts contacts in, um, which in the remake, he does it to change his eye color. That's kind of cool. It's kind of cool, but, like, he never does it again. Yeah. Like, it's just in the beginning, and it's just like, okay, whatever. In this, it's like he actually can't see. <laughs> so he wears, like, gla- like big glasses, and then, like, when he wants to not wear glasses, he puts contacts in, which I guess weren't super common in the 80s. He also, there's a hint here, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, because you know how I am with this fucking show. He, uh... He's wearing plaid, a red plaid specifically, mm-hmm. which throughout the film, and maybe it's not every time, but almost every time he has a meltdown, he has a red plaid shirt on of some variety or a red tie. Holy shit. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I just noticed that. Yeah. Because there's a scene later that we're going to get to where he's totally calm and then he comes down into his basement and puts on this fucking plaid jacket and is like fucking ski bopping in his basement. Yeah, he <laughs> sure is. Uh, but yeah, he, he gets changed and he, he basically, I don't know how to paint a picture for you guys at home if you haven't seen it, but almost like picture like a school teacher, like an old school teacher with the nice suit, uh, very, you know, clean cut beard, you know, totally uh, baby face. Yeah, he goes from hippie to businessman, basically. Dude, he looks totally different. Totally different. You, you wouldn't know unless you saw him do it. Like Ted Bundy, dude. Yeah. And uh, I love this part because he he starts walking out of the house and they, they show like the pictures on the wall of his family mm-hmm. and he's walking down the hallway and this motherfucker, he takes the time because he's like a neat freak yeah. to uh, pick up like a toy that's in the hallway and put it like in the fucking toy chest. And he gingerly places it in there and closes it like all calm and shit. And then he walks down the stairs and there's like a phone off the hook, like with the dial tone going. Ugh, dude, it's so creepy. Well, well, the first thing you see is the fucking handprint on the wall. I mean, you already know something's going down with him washing all this blood off his body. Sure. And uh, he comes down the steps and you see this living room and holy fuck. Th- this was a visceral shock because I, ne- I didn't, I've never seen this movie this entirety until today. Um, uh, and having like my recent taste with, you know, this series was the fucking remake. Um, I was, you know, fully sanitized of the idea that this was not going to be a gore fest. It's not, but 
this one shot is really fucking freaky, and you can't really make sense of what the fuck is going on. Like, there's just bodies, blood, shit knocked over. Um, but it is graphic. It's horrifying. It is powerful. Yes. It not. It's not just like, okay, there's some dead bodies in there with blood. This looks like... Jason Voorhees had a fucking rage party in there. Yeah, it's it's a fucking war zone. No, like there there is fucking blood sprayed all over the walls. Shit is fucking broken and tipped over and flipped over. And everybody's in weird positions. Well, it's like one of those things. It's like you you got to think about it this way. If let's say Jason Voorhees went in here, yeah, same kind of disaster zone. But people would have fled. They wouldn't all be piled in there together. This guy just came in and started fucking hacking his family to pieces. They probably didn't even know how to react. No, dude. Yeah. And and the worst shot is, you know, he hangs up the phone and he and he casually walks out and the camera pans down to his fucking daughter who's face down ble- you know, dead with a teddy bear. Yeah, th- that's like the bone-chilling shot, dude, cuz he fucking like goes over the door and it, it like that's the last thing you see before they cut. And it's just, he leaves this fucking... War zone, like you said. Place of insanity. Yeah, this fucking this fucking war zone closes the door. And just starts whistling the fucking camp town ladies and starts walking down the street, picks up the newspaper, skips to his loo down the fucking street, like not a care in the world. Nope. Now, I was reading that originally the song they wanted him to whistle was Barbara Streisand's The Way We Were. You know that song? Memories like the color of my mind. The only reference of that I I know is in Ren and Stimpy, and I don't know that song at all. I would say that's a very specific desire to have him sing that song. If you don't know it, uh, look it up on YouTube or iTunes or wherever the fuck you want to listen to it. And like the first... 30 to 45 seconds is Barbara Streisand like humming and I think that's what they wanted gotcha it's it's equally creepy but the camp town races is just like whoa and it's also consistent through all three sequels too <laughs> well that that might get a little old but when it pops up occasionally in this film it's it I liked it every time yeah well it becomes sort of like his jaws theme you know <laughs> yeah they do this great thing with the music which I was also reading that uh the keyboard is from fucking Yes and the Moody Blues did the music for this movie? Yeah, Patrick Moraz, dude. I was like, wow. <laughs> the music in this movie is fucking top yes. notch. Yeah, it's great. Um, uh, shit. Uh, the Thanksgiving movie we watched last year. Uh, Blood, Blood Rage. Rage. Blood Rage. Like, the music in that was fantastic, but way more energetic. And this kind of feels the same way, but there's some, like, almost like ravenous-esque qualities where you're like, I didn't expect that instrument to come out of nowhere. Yeah, no, but it works. Totally works. It's so good. Like, there's a flute that pops up in the beginning of the fucking movie um, that's kind of fluttering in and out, and then, like, a a synth horror score goes over it, and it's super weird and unique, and I love it. They do this great thing with, with when he's walking down the street whistling. it. You know, it's like a suburban town. No one thinks anything of it, of course, because he's just some dude walking down the street, but as he's whistling, you know, Camp Town races, do-do-do-do-do-do-do, the music comes in and kind of blends with it, and then it, it rises, and it gets incredibly creepy with, like, the synth. Oh, yeah. It, it, oh, my God. I gotta get the album. Yeah, it's, it's real good. <laughs> but then there's, like, parts of this where it sounds like i don't know what like like saturday afternoon like yeah a little bit like a like like family show you know what i mean like family times or something like that or, or like growing pains 
I, I think that's super intentional because of the character that he plays, where he is trying to be this quote unquote family man, you know, all American family dad. Sure, I don't, I don't dislike it. I'm just saying, like the 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 tonality of the of the music is changes changes uh, at the drop of a hat sometimes, and it's like whoa, yeah, it's jarring. Sometimes it's Goblin, and then sometimes it's after school special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it, Connor. He gets on a fucking boat, and I. In the beginning, you're thinking, like, what the fuck? He's just going to, like, sail away or, like, go who knows where. And he ends up, like, throwing his case over, his his luggage over the uh, side, and it just sinks. And it's just like, well, done done with that. He Casey Joneses that suitcase over the fucking side. He's like, oops. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he sure does, yeah. <laughs> and then he's, he's all fucking proud of, his, proud of himself, smiling and shit. And then we cut to one year later, and we're introduced to his... Introduced to his stepdaughter, Stephanie. Jill Sholin, man. I, for a second, as, like, the dissolve was happening, I was like, is that a very young Jennifer Connelly? Oh, my God. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's in Popcorn, uh, Curse 2, The Bite, um, Cutting Class. And apparently, at one point, she was engaged to Brad Pitt, if that's something you care about. Well, yeah. She's also in Babes in Toyland with uh, Keanu Reeves. Ah, I don't know if I ever saw that version. And, uh, unfortunately, When a Stranger Calls Back. Oh. <laughs> That's what did it for you, Connor. <laughs> she's like, don't, don't do that. Uh, she's really good in this movie. I, I, I had said this to you guys before we started recording that I think all the acting's really good, especially our, our primary cast of uh, Terry O'Quinn, the daughter, and the and the mother. There isn't a bad performance to be seen in this movie. I just, it just dawned on me. Jill, Jill has like this trademark voice where it's kind of like. A little, I, I don't want to say raspy, but like kind of uh, squeaky or, or, or <sighs> what's the word I'm looking for? High pitched and soft. Yes, but like it also, I, I, I can't replicate it and I can't really even explain it. You have to fucking hear it, but it's like, yeah, it, it, it's airy and sweet, but also uh, it like goes in and out. If that makes sense. No, yeah, I can picture what you're saying. For certain words and stuff, I, I I can't really, you have to hear it. It's distinct. Yeah, it's very distinct. But on that note, in the remake, the 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 son's girlfriend, uh, 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 Amber Heard, has the same kind of voice. I just realized that now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, she, yeah, she goes home, and her and her mother are kind of fucking around in the yard. Uh, her mother, Susan. Susan Hack, dude. She's fucking Mrs. Potter from Troll. Is that what she's in? Yeah, man. Oh, my God. Because I, I had read that she was in, like, the fourth season of Charlie's Angels. But, you know, I, I don't know anything about that fucking show beyond that it existed. She was in a lot of, like, stuff in the 70s. And, and Connor, you mentioned Blood Rage. Before I looked her up, I was convinced it was the same woman that played the mother in that. Because she looks very similar. You said that, and then I saw her. And in my head, I was like, that looks like Tina from Friday 7 and the mom from Blood Rage did the fucking fusion dance. Like, So they're, they're kind of playing in the leaves. They have this huge pile of leaves, and they're just kind of, you know, ra- uh, roughhousing around. It's very genuine. Yes. And I liked it. It was it was mom and daughter goofing around, hanging out, and fucking throwing leaves at each other and shit. It made me genuinely homesick for about five seconds. <laughs> yeah. Well, then Terry O'Quinn pulls up and ruins it. Hi, I'm Stepdad, TM. Going by Jerry Blake now. Yeah. Hey, working as a realtor. Yes, um, real quick, there's a bunch of times in this movie where they fucking totally call him Terry instead of Jerry. <laughs> I didn't pick up on that. And it's not 
super distracting, but they sound very similar, and I can understand. Yes. I can understand it, you know? Maybe the family knew the whole time they were playing four-dimensional chess. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, though, Joe. It's like anytime an actor plays a character that's either their name or something very close, it's like, I, I don't know, I always find that a little strange. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, they are playing a character, but, you know, you have slip-ups. No, sure. I mean, from the other actors, you know what I mean? Because it's oh, like... Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very easy to be like... Oh, hey, Terry, but it's Jerry and vice versa, you know. Doesn't Mark Hamill scream Carrie uh, at the end of the New Hope? Yep. After they blow up the star. <laughs> and they didn't edit it out. Nope. <laughs> Oops. He walks up and Stephanie clearly, like, doesn't like this guy at all. She kind of already smells his shit from a mile away. Like, something's off about this dude. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Jerry uh, Jerry just wants to get fucked. He's like, huh, is Stephanie here? <laughs> He's, well, yeah. And that's my initial thought. Clearly, he has an ulterior motive because he goes in the backyard with Susan. He's like... I think Susan wants to fuck all the time is what it is. Well, well, you know, hey, why not? Hey, my husband's been dead for a year. I, you know, I gotta... Well, you want to talk about that real quick, about the dead husband? Oh, let's get that out of the way because it's easier just to talk about everything else. Because I, they don't ever say this in the movie, but my interpretation of that is... I feel like he killed the dad. Am I just crazy for thinking that? Oh my God, maybe. I mean, I guess there's no reason for him to do that. He kind of like, you know, as we find out later in the film, he clearly looks for like people that are, you know, either divorced or the the, the husband's out of the picture. But I don't know. The guy's a serial killer, for lack of a better term. You know what? I don't, I don't like that. And the reason I don't like that is because it doesn't fit his mo okay you know what i mean sure the second one the second one kind of goes into that which i don't really like and maybe it's an underlying thing in the first movie but like it's very much taking advantage of a single mom grieving woman yeah he's entering these families lives because he thinks they need to be fixed right well that's true he sees them as projects so he inserts himself into a picture that's you know has a vacant spot where he can dominate dominate the household absolutely correct i like that a lot i I just wanted to put that out there because it was in the back of my mind watching the movie but yeah so he you know he goes into the backyard with susan and stephanie's there, kind of you know moping around he's like he's like i got you a gift and it's a fucking puppy. Yep, sure is. Little terrier. Cute little boy. I love this dog. He looks like my parents' dog. Oh, yeah. Wicket, little, little Wicket. I love little wiry-haired, little, like, just terrier shits. So Terry's trying to win over Stephanie uh, because she's just, like, not having it, right? She's not having him. She's not over her dad. She can't uh, get over the fact that, like, her mom is marrying somebody new and there's like that whole you know that whole dynamic of of a child who either had lost their father or there's a divorce or something where you know there's somebody else filling that void and it's just never going to be the same um and it's just not been long enough i guess in her in her eyes well there's that but but like i said she also kind of like doesn't believe this guy's shit because it's like he's almost like too perfect well I mean, I mean, as the film progresses, it gets it gets more. Um, oh yeah, intense and, and and suspicious. But right now, it's just yeah, he's my stepdad and he sucks. You know what I mean? You know? Yeah. No. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I can uh, I can speak to that kind of rejection dismissal uh, personally because we, I went through that several times after my parents got divorced. And yeah, like every time someone comes in, they're like, "Hey," I'm like, "Fuck you." Yeah. <laughs> I'm 16 and pissed. I don't want you to talk to me. It's, yeah, right? And I, and, well, yeah, she's 16 right now. And pissed. And pissed. Um, but yeah, so, so then we, so then, you know, she's seeking, she's getting counseling because not only is mom, uh, 
seeing a, a new man, but or actually, she's remarried, right, guys? Oh yeah. I mean, I guess it's implied again, based on stuff that happens later in the film, that while he was cooking up this new life, he already was kind of interjecting himself into their lives. Okay, so that's a that's another big thing that I like about this film. We're 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 just put right into the center of it. There is no this getting to know you bullshit. It's just, yep, yeah, they're married. They've been married. He's the new stepdad. Whatever. Well, because yeah, because the audience already knows the guy's mo. It's the characters that have no fucking clue. You don't need all that. Yeah, sure, exactly. No, you don't, and that's what makes it creepy because we know and they don't. Anyway, but yeah, like you were saying, uh, Joe, she goes to counseling with her doctor with uh, Doctor Bonadert. How do you say this guy's name? Bondurant. Maybe he's related to the famous Bondurants, but I don't know. Probably not. He doesn't seem as uh, hardy or tough. Boner Mount. Anyway, he, um... <laughs> wow, how fucking juvenile of you. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Doctor Boner Mount. Anyway, oh, Doctor Boner Mountain. <laughs> you know that's what he's going to be called now, right? <laughs> yeah, he totally doesn't have a character that justifies that name, but sure, <laughs> no. No, Doc. I was just gonna call him Doc because uh, I don't. I didn't. I didn't catch his name. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But it's the whole thing where like she's already been acting out. Yeah. Since Dad had passed away, and it's very that kind of you know she's got the fucking chip on her shoulder and 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 doesn't trust everything anybody questions everything picks a fight you know picks fights with people blah blah blah. Um. Your 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 basic teen angst kind of turned up to eleven. Yeah, and she's she's having trouble at school, and and basically, she's getting a tenth degree from everybody. Like you know, you really got to make this work. Like you you got to at least try. And even her therapist is like, yeah, come on, like you got to make this happen. Yeah. And uh, you know, eventually, as he's trying to you know convince her, she's like, I believe our time is up, doctor. And because uh, she's not having it either, and she goes in the car with. Uh, Terry O'Quinn, and he he kind of has given her the same fucking thing. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, it would mean a lot to me and your mother if you really tried to be good at school this year. She's like, yeah, Jerry, I will. Slam cut to the school. <laughs> cut to fucking Friday night fights, dude, because these chicks are slapping the fuck out of each other in this classroom. Yes, they are. Well, and the, the whole thing is, like, she's her and this other student are beating the shit out of each other in art class. And the teacher comes in and is a total dickhead. I mean, we were talking about shitty teachers in our last episode. This guy's one of them. Shitty teachers are something we run into far too often. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they're underworked and over. Maybe they're uh, overworked, underpaid. Yeah. Dude, question mark. Right. <laughs> Even like one of the one of the dudes like advocates for for Stephanie, and he's like, "Oh man, she didn't even start the fight." And he's like, "I don't give a fuck." You getting gimme a you, and he takes her down to the principal's office. But her hands are covered in paint, and she just fucking slaps a big fucking handprint on his white shirt. Well, the guy goes, "You couldn't be in more trouble if you tried," and she does. That. <laughs> I love the idea of getting to a fight in art class. Is like, wow, you really, really don't give a shit. Art class? <laughs> well, think about it. You know how bullies are. If they know you're on thin ice, they're gonna fuck with you even harder. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, because you're gonna fucking you're gonna be the one blamed for sure. I've been in that boat. Look at the willies. Yep, that too. It wasn't. It wasn't Baby Buckus getting yelled at. It was the fucking little kid with the glasses. Look at uh, Death Note, where that kid got a concussion. They're like, how dare you bleed in our property? Well, yeah. We we don't talk about that movie on this show. <laughs> what movie? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I've never heard of it. Yeah, exactly. Death what? I what? Death what? Death Wish? The Japanese comic book, you mean? Net Doth. <laughs> Nat Wolf. <laughs> we, we, we go from this scenario over to Jerry working. Uh, as a realtor, showing a house to a family, and uh, he kind of 
sweetens up with this little girl, and he's like, oh, there's there's a swing in the backyard. Yeah. She's like, oh, really? He's like, yep, you can swing on it whenever your parents buy this house. And they, they head out in the backyard, and he starts pushing her. This is the thing with this character. I, I brought up Ted Bundy in the beginning because this man is, like, unabashedly charming. Well, the, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's one of those things where... Again, you know, maybe I'm interpreting this wrong, but I think I got it right. He he's basically putting a show on for everybody. He's like, this is what the fucking perfect dad would be like, and that's how he presents himself. Exactly, and I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, he is so fucking psychotic that he has built a um persona that he has to uh, put in front of it as like a big wall before he has like his breakdowns and shit. Yes. Yeah, he's um he's stunningly effective at what he does unlike some people in this movie. Well, yeah. Cuz she's he's pushing this little girl in the swing and he's like, "I have a daughter just like you." She's like, "She's in high school now." She's like, "Oh, yeah, what's her name?" He's like, "Stephanie." And he, he kind of talks about her a little more and then he's like, "Oh, what grade are you going to be in, little girl?" She's like, "Third grade." He's like, "Oh, I remember when Jill was in third grade." She's like, "Who's Jill?" "Oh, my daughter." She's like, "Oh, I thought you said Stephanie." He's like, uh, yeah, Stephanie, yeah, uh... Yeah, that's, that's what I said. I'll kill your whole family, I mean... <laughs> now you gotta die, little girl. I know, right? Just pushes her on the swing a little too hard. But again, the, f- <laughs> the, 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 the great thing about this is that she's just a little girl, and he's kind of slips up with this little girl, right? And you get a taste of the fact that, like, he doesn't have his phone fucking story right in his head. Right, early on. Early on, but, like, it's not a character... Like, in the remake, he says that to the son of the wife. And it's just like... Yeah, that's stupid. This is stupid. Like, he already figured you're out. You're already... You know what I mean? Like, how do you forget your kid's name? Instead, you're saying it to, like, a little kid that's not going to think anything of it. Exactly. Yeah, and that's that's kind of why I think this is so creepy. Because he fucks up that badly in front of, like, a child. But he's like... He's like, you're not making memories. Whatever. Let's just keep talking. Like, <laughs> pretty much. He's like, oh, well, if you were anybody else, you'd have to die. Yeah. Yeah. And they do this great uh, cut. And they do this a few times in this movie. I really like the editing in this film. I don't talk about that a ton on the show, but I, really well done in this movie. The way they go from one scene to the next, like the through line. Totally agreed. Because uh, when he makes the comment about, oh, yeah, my daughter's a straight A student. She's an honor student. Slam cut back to the school and she's walking out with her friend Karen. And she's like, what happened? Stephanie, and she's like, I got expelled. <laughs> <laughs> my my stepfather's going to kill me. Foreshadowing. <laughs> we go from that scene to the fucking house. She's like, girls don't get expelled. What are you talking about? Yeah, but he's like super cool about it. He's like, oh, what do you mean you're expelled? Like, almost like he doesn't believe it. He's like, nah, you're just funning, right? Like, girls don't get expelled. Yeah, I, I don't get, I mean, I get his deal because he's insane, but like, he's very... Hard to read. Well, he's super old school, right? Like, incredibly traditional. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. All-American family, and these that's what these ideals are. And, like, there's a lot of times where people are like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Like, it's the 80s, motherfucker. It's almost the 90s, <laughs> motherfucker. Right, he's, like, basing his fucking lifestyle off Leave it to Beaver. Uh, right, exactly. Which I think she even jokes about to her friend in a, in a later scene over the phone. Yeah, fucking Ward. <laughs> Yeah, like literally. Yeah, so she basically wants to get out of the situation because she's super uncomfortable. Her father passed away. The stepdad's there. She doesn't like the stepdad. It's not, she feels like it's not their home anymore. Like the family is broken and like now it's his house and not her house or their house. Um, So she wants to get shipped off to boarding school to kind of just step back from it and, and, and go 
be somewhere else, you know, and get the fuck away from him. Quote unquote, run away from the situation, you know, which I don't blame her for. Yeah, this resonated a lot with me, especially uh, when confronted with this and someone tells her, yes, that's very rational. Yeah. And Terry O'Quinn goes, oh, we'll have none of that. We can't break up the family. He goes, it's not a family without children. How am I going to have my murder fantasy without my fucking children here? <laughs> and this guy is constantly eating, like, red meat, and he's just sitting there chopping up his steak. He's like, yeah, yeah father knows best. He's like, yeah, we're not doing that. How am I going to have my blood rage? I'm sorry, I mean... <laughs> Uh, aptly put, Connor. <laughs> mm, it's not, it's definitely not cranberry sauce this time. Oh my god, can you imagine these two in the same fucking room? Oh my god, soon. Right after this scene, he goes into his fucking murder basement, and he, you know, you know, Gordy Belcher's down there fucking with his, uh, flyeramas, he kind of looks over to him, they, <laughs> their eyes meet, and they just fucking go back to work. Yeah, he walks past him. Oh, hey, how you doing, Terry? How you doing, Gordy? They treat the other one like they both saw a ghost, like, <gasps> Oh my god, you think? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like the others, man. It's like two converging realities. Yeah. And this is the first time, uh, like I was talking about, he puts on this like red and black checkered plaid jacket, I guess I'll refer to it as, or sweater. And uh, he doesn't do anything too crazy here, but the way he is cutting this wood for the birdhouse... It's a flannel. A flat flannel, yes, excuse me. Uh, the way he's cutting this birdhouse, though, he just like has this look on his face of, of derangement. This is how I feel like he suppresses his episodes. Yeah, yeah. This is his, I gotta go bring back some videotapes? Yeah, yeah, I have to return some videotapes for sure. He, like, builds these bird, this birdhouse, and every time he's about to freak out, he, he, like, goes down into the basement to try to, like, calm himself down. Which is a running theme. Honey, you building your birdhouse? Are you, uh, you're tricking off down there or something? You just go down there at random times during the day. No, honey, I'm fine. Thank God the acoustics in this house are fucking horrible because... <laughs> He has some meltdowns in this movie that I don't know how you don't hear that upstairs. Um, we'll get to it. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Uh, because, yeah, like Joe was saying, you know, Stephanie's upset that, that she feels like she's a prisoner in her own home with this guy. And uh, he, he comes upstairs while Susan's basically talking to Stephanie in a voiceover saying like, you know, oh, I never thought I'd find love again. And Jerry is that man. And he's so nice. And he's a good guy. Like, give him a chance. And Stephanie's just like, I'm really trying to, to like this guy. There's just something off about him. I can't place it. And this fucking guy is just standing by the doorway, like, listening like a creep. Yeah. And then, like, he's like, he's like, hey, uh, uh, daddy, daddy knows best, you know, hey, everything's gonna be just fine. And cut to him watching Mr. Ed. <laughs> oh, this was creepy. This whole scene is fucking disturbing, dude, because he's like, oh, this is great. I, you know, I, I thought horses talked until I was in high school. It's very real, though, because it's like, in the sense, like, yeah, this guy's crazy. Like, we, we could say that a million times, like, yeah, but... He's still just a dude, like, enjoying Mr. Ed, and he's even like, oh, Wilbur. <laughs> sure, but, like, his mind is like... This is what a normal guy would do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not only that, but, like, stuck in that kind of time period. I mean, what is that? Like, er was that early 60s? Like, late 50s? Had to be. Was, uh, yeah. That's, like, the kind of stuff my dad watched as a kid, and that, that kind of lines up. So, like, the 60s. So, um... They he has a conversation with with Karen and he's like Susan yeah Susan uh she's like oh you never talk about your past or whatever and he's like he's like my past didn't exist until I met you the past isn't real it's just a dream and that fucking sentence was so chilling to me because it was like you literally erase your time with people. By murdering them and changing your persona. Yeah, he fucking, he resets. He, yeah, he fucking hard starts. 
<laughs> or hard restarts, and it's just like, what the fuck, dude? I like that the only glimpses into his backstory are kind of similar to Black Christmas, but far less uh, extreme, where it's just like, yes. in Black Christmas, you just have this voice who's just screaming what, without any context, I mean, even with context, it's just bullshit. You have no idea what this person's talking about. It could be relevant to why they're there, but you're like, I can't extrapolate anything from this behavior. I mean, you can kind of piece something together there, but yeah. also, it also has that element of, like, it could just be bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because this person's crazy. And even him, like, a lot of what, you know, what, what he runs on is bullshit, and every time his past is brought up, like, he gives you just enough to make you go, oh, okay. What? Um, but then you kind of back off of it. But again, it's one of those things where, like, what's even reality to him? Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? What's not a story? What's not a facade? Well, like you, like you just said, once he starts his new life, everything else doesn't matter. It didn't exist prior to that. And which life is he referencing when he's talking about his past, you know? Yeah. Because it, it's not even a, like he's insane, but also, like... He has some serious split personality problems that we find out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think he's, it's, there's, like, there's multiple personality disorder and there's uh, schizophrenia where... Yes. Um, like, your touch with reality is very tepid, sometimes just gone, and you may see things that aren't there, you may hear things that aren't there, um, and just your your interpretation of what's real and what's not is, is completely shattered, Um so like a lot of his meltdowns are like he's he's communing with you know off screen entities that you can't see and he's yelling at things that aren't there, mm-hmm. um, seemingly having a two way conversation but you only hear one half of it. Well, right, right, and it's like one of those things where it's like small transgressions are like world ending for him. Yes. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. We'll we'll get to them uh, when we get there. But yeah, there's also a line from the Joker, and I can't remember which story it's from. I think it's the Killing Joke when he says, "If I prefer to have a pass, I prefer to be multiple choice." Um, and that really lines up with this dude because yeah. his past is just like a series of just is just a series of identities that he can't even probably cohesively explain to you if he tried. No, nope. And like that hole is so deep. Yeah. <laughs> How could you even remember them all? You know. Yeah. So then we go to this really awkward sex scene <laughs> where Terry O'Quinn is really giving it to this woman and is just like dead-eyed also the stepdaughter has to fuck fucking put her pet benatar on like loud as fuck so she can't hear them <laughs> yeah but when he sh- when he's fucking this woman his like face is like stone cold it's oh, yeah. just it's the it's the cr- it's one of those creepy fucking things man where she's like having the ride of her life and he's just sitting there like like just completely blank right right it's part of the act to him he could care less. Yeah, like I, just, I have to do this because that's what I'm supposed to do or whatever. Right. It's kind of like uh, Dexter where it's like, I don't know what I'm doing, but here we go. But Well, he channels his shit. Yeah, he has an outlet. <laughs> he has an outlet, right? That would be a great Dexter episode, dude. He fucking hunts this guy. Okay. I'd watch it. I think he, prob- he probably has. Yeah, he probably has at some point. Somebody similar. So then we, we go to the next morning and we're introduced to our, I guess last main character i guess we would refer to this guy as jim ogilvy this motherfucker in this fucking piece of shit tom peters car that he's fucking driving around in <laughs> the punisher mobile this fucking kroger brand frank castle who i was, <laughs> who I was calling crank fassel the whole fucking movie <laughs> just like he one he looks like a shorter like well-rested version of dolph's punisher um and like you are this is my only gripe with the fucking movie. You are more or less subjected to the whimsies of this guy's revenge plot, and, like, he came on screen, and I went, 
You smell like Friday 4. Oh, yeah, he sure does. It looks like... It, he looks like Frank Castle and Treat Williams got thrown in a blender. Yeah, like the coffee grounds colored beard where it's like, is that growing? Did you just shave it? What happened there? Yeah, who knows? It's it's some of its makeup, some of its real. Yeah, <laughs> my beard has is drawn on <laughs> um, with his fucking his his vengeance jacket and his fucking beat up jalopy car. I hate this guy. <laughs> He's definitely that guy who was probably in an alcoholic haze the whole time he was with his like he knew his sister before she was murdered. Oh, okay. So 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 Jim is the brother of the woman that Terry O'Quinn was married to married to previously who was splattered all over the living room in the beginning of the film. She was killed by Jason Voorhees and now he's at Camp Crystal Lake. To, I'm sorry, different guy, but same guy. Well, yeah, and my sister, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> exact same motivations. He's like proto-Creighton. So um, he's there and he has a reporter in the car with him and he's basically like, you know, this doesn't make sense. Like, why didn't they catch him? And... and kind of feels like that they should reopen the case because they never got a conclusive, um, you know, uh, uh, lead because they have no evidence of this guy. Uh, but they do have a photo of him. And there's photos of him all over the fucking house. And he's the reporter's basically like, Jesus Christ, man, like the case was closed. They couldn't, you know, they didn't have any evidence. They couldn't find anybody. Uh, why are you going to stir this up? And he's like, he's like, dude, they never caught him. And like, I just have this feeling or whatever. So he has this reporter basically makes this this writer like publish a new article like saying that like hey here he wants him to run the photo and say remember those you know remember those slayings that happened a year ago like the case is not closed like if you have any information on this guy blah 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 so he goes to the paper and he and he puts and he puts the and he runs the story right cut to uh oh this barbecue the fucking barbecue dude where like so terry again terry o'quinn's like this realtor but he's like so fucking friendly to these people like people he sold <laughs> this is these weird dude this is weird right that i can't imagine going to a barbecue of my realtor yeah and, and, and it's like lewis tully's fucking uh party <laughs> ted and annette we're ted and annette benny we're gonna play some parcheesi and uh, have the shrimp it's imported from fucking wherever anybody want to play twister <laughs> Okay, who brought the Terry? I gotta bring this up at the next at the next building meeting. No, I'm not supposed to have any pets in the building. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, they have this barbecue and, and all the people there are his clients. And he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I sold your houses, but you stayed to be my friend. And like this one neighbor's like, hey, uh, Jerry, my garage door's still not opening. He's like, maybe you shouldn't have backed your fucking car into it there, old man. <laughs> And everybody's like, oh, zinger, Terry. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't get blackout drunk and reverse your car into your garage, you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> he has this speech, and, like, it, it, it's it's very, um, you can tell this guy's full of shit, right? But it's also the thing, too, where, like, maybe he's not full of shit. Uh, but Stephanie is very on the fence, like... He's just making up, but maybe he's not a bad guy. And I love, I love how we're gonna get into that, uh, the dynamic of that, because she actually believes that he's not a bad guy at some point. But anyway, she always has a suspicion in the beginning that there's something wrong with this guy. And he's making this speech, and he he says something to the effect of like, "What I sell is the American dream." And I just thought that was such a brilliant piece of writing, um, to kind of have him referencing homes and like selling homes to families and then like it has that double entendre where like his persona 
is trying to sell the American dream? That's part of his psychosis? As part of what he does, he is a con man, and, like, one of the more, like, common rebukes of, like, a con man is, like, I'm not buying what you're selling. Yeah. So for him to come out and say, like, what I'm selling is the American dream is a really interesting line because, like, he he does, you know, intrude in these families, and he sells them on the idea that he's gonna, you know, fucking build that white picket fence and make all their fucking dreams come true. Exactly, and you, you kids are gonna play in the yard, and we're gonna say grace at dinner. Exactly. They're all families, too, and that's, like, his big thing. <laughs> It sure is, yeah. It, it, he just goes really hard on that throughout the whole film. Like, that's the point. That Again, that's part of his psychosis. It, it, everything has to be perfect. It's like the perfect family from all aspects. He, he also, like, feigns embarrassment during the speech. Like, oh, yeah, just have a good time. <laughs> and uh, we, we, we cut to a little bit later in the party when it's died down, and a couple of these... Uh people at the party are all bullshitting at a table like, yeah, yeah, you can believe this, running this shit in the paper? All right, they couldn't find a guy, and they're just bringing this up again. So so they're talking about the newspaper, and Terry O'Quinn's like, oh, what are you guys talking about? And they explain it, and you see his face just change immediately. Like, oh, oh, uh, oh my God. They're like, are you okay, Jerry? Are you okay? He's like, uh, yeah, this kind of stuff just really disturbs me. And and Stephanie's watching his entire reaction and is like, okay, that was a little odd. Some guy goes, oh my God, what would drive a man to fucking do that? And he's like, maybe they disappointed him. Yeah, under his breath. And I'm like, uh, did anybody fucking hear that? There might as well have been a thunderclap behind him when he fucking said that. <laughs> And, and the way he gets rid of this fucking, let's call it evidence, he folds it into a paper hat and gives it to, like, a kid, and he's like, ah, oh, you're Blackbeard the pirate now! <laughs> aye, aye, Captain, fuck off. And then, uh, Stephanie goes in the basement, because her mother asks her to get the ice cream out of the freezer. Yeah, dude. And she's like, okay, so... Man, she goes down there, and Terry O'Quinn fucking flies down the stairs in a rage, and you get this scene that we were kind of talking about earlier, where he just goes full... Uh, split personality disorder and just starts like smashing his hands on everything in the room, screaming at himself. We're gonna, we're gonna need some order. We need order around here. Man, it's such a powerful scene, and like Terry is so good, and so's Jill in this scene. Yeah, and like he's saying shit like we're we're gonna be perfect and everything's gonna be perfect and everything's fine. And he's like, why the fuck did they have to do that? Or or he's just saying all this crazy shit. Um. He's on, like, four or five different conversations. Well, like Connor said earlier, it's like he's pointing at someone that's not there. He's, like, talking to himself in different voices. Mm -hmm. Slamming a bunch of shit. Um, and Jill is just standing there, like, mouth agape, and he finally notices her, and he's like, Hey, uh, ice cream, huh? <laughs> he's like the life, he's like the job of a real estate agent. He's like, you gotta smile at people all the time. Uh, you gotta put on a, on a front. It's really stressful. She's like, uh, yeah. He's like, y you get it, right? You understand? And she's like, yeah, but you're a fucking maniac. Uh, I gotta go upstairs now. Bye. Your job's not hard. What are you, a dentist? Like, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> so the party's dying down or whatever, and uh, Steph ends up finding the newspaper, I guess the newspaper hat, <laughs> because she picks it up and she sees uh, that the, uh, about the case and she kind of puts it together that, like, it happened exactly a, a year ago, um, like, when his uh, her mother met this dude and all this shit. Um, and she basically tells her friend, like... Oh, yeah, and her and her friend's like, hey, what are you, Nancy Drew? She's like, no, really, like, I'm piecing this together. It all makes sense. She's like, <laughs> okay. So she figures it out, like, right in the beginning of the movie, but everybody's like, you're stupid. What a stretch. The Seattle Examiner we, we jump to. Yeah, Jim is at the fucking, um, the newspaper place, and 
the guy who ran the story comes out and fucking Jim grabs him about to beat the shit out of him. He's like, you didn't fuck it. Dude, he bum rushes him. Yeah, he's like, you didn't run the fucking picture. How are we supposed to find this guy? You didn't run the picture, okay? I asked you to run the <laughs> picture and you didn't. You just see a pizza fly in the air. Lou Gossett Jr.'s there in the corner. <laughs> Got the pizza. Damn it, Frank. But you're right, Joe. He's like, why didn't you Why didn't you run the picture? He's like, ah, it wasn't me. It was my fucking editor. Like, lay off. He's like, oh, okay. I don't want to hear about it. I've, I've slept and eaten far too much. It's just not operating right. How am I supposed to catch the bad guy if you don't run the picture? I I hate this being healthy. It fucking sucks. <laughs> Where's the Jim Beam? Where's the photo? Why, why couldn't you just roll the photo in on a remote control car? <laughs> Do you think if I put the picture on an RC car and run it around the neighborhood, people will see it? What, uh, question mark. Why is this guy just like print a bunch of flyers and like put them up? Have you seen this man? Why doesn't he do anything but bother someone else about this? He's not proactive <laughs> at all. I guess the idea is because he has basically explains to the reporter how, oh yeah, you know, it's got to be within this circle of area and you know, I don't know exactly where, but if you run the paper, maybe someone will see it. But like, I guess from that standpoint, like if you, if you print out flyers, are you going to go in like a thousand mile radius and hand them out? Probably not. Right. And he like draws, is it right now? Or he... I think, I think he talked about it a little bit earlier because he's explaining, oh yeah, you know, in this area, because basically they, he explains how Jerry, when he left the house the first time when he, he quit his job and then he would go to work or act like he went to work, but he was really like setting up his new life. And he, and Jim is just basically saying to the reporter, like, you know, to get that all done and come back home in the time period that he would need to look like he was still working, he could only have gone this far. Yeah, it's only so far, and he, like, makes a map of, like, the radius around, um, uh, Washington. So he can, so he, he he's very close to where he might be, but it's still, it's still pretty fucking big area to cover, you know? Oh, yeah, but, but, like, I, I mean, I agree, like, if he did just print flyers out, maybe that would have given him some headway, but I also, I kind of get why he doesn't <laughs> sure yeah well he gets more evidence as to, to like narrow it down later also, also plot for a movie <laughs> sure no i get it if he just did that it would be over in the first 20 minutes <laughs> hey i saw that guy he sold me a house yeah yeah it's one of the things with like stop thinking about contrivances you would just ruin the entire experience it's it's the other thing there's no computers or internet or cell phones or anything and again like connor said at the beginning of the episode like it this works really well because of that no i totally agree so he he basically apologizes to the reporter for kind of roughing him up but but at the same time like tells him like to go fuck himself because he's not helping him and he leaves um and then we go to another therapy session with stephanie and her doctor i like dr bondurant yeah so do i he, he plays cool doc here he's like it's cool to run away like no big deal like you gotta get out of there or something you know sometimes yeah because she's afraid of running away and she's talking about yeah i, I don't want to run away he's like yeah what's wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that if you if you got to get away and you know reset that's not there's nothing wrong with that and she's like oh wh wait really yeah thanks dr bandersnatch he also tells this kind of fucked up joke where where she's like, yeah, my mother told me you only charged me half. Why is that? And he's like, hey, he's like, I like you. And the guy after you, he's a schizophrenic. So uh, I just charge him double. <laughs> I charge him twice. <laughs> the mentally ill. It's, a, it's, a, it's an old psychologist joke. It's a good one. I do like that he sees Stephanie as like a project. And he's, he's very clearly investing time in her. Well, that's the other thing, too. Like, so you have Terry O'Quinn seeing the family as a project himself in a completely different way than the doc is seeing this as a project. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Basically, he says, you know, oh, you know, let me let me call this guy, Jerry, uh, and let me see if I can talk to him, maybe understand, like, 
you know, what the problem is on his end. And she's like, oh, you'd really do that? And he's like, yeah, anytime. And uh, she kind of ends her session on that note. Mm-hmm. And then Stephanie ends up writing to the paper. Well, she wants the picture. Yeah, because I think in the in the in the uh, ad or in the story, it says like there's a photo or whatever. And then she writes to them and says, "Hey, I want the photo. Can you send it?" <laughs> and then cut to you know after she has this session, uh, we see Terry O'Quinn back at home coming home to get the mail. And I just want to comment on this mailbox real quick. It is, you know, it really is playing up that all-American theme because he's got this fucking mailbox with, like, houses attached to the side of it or some shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought that was odd. But, yeah, he goes in the mailbox and he finds this fucking manila envelope and he's like, what the fuck? Seattle Examiner. Yeah, and he's like, oh, shit. And it's addressed to the daughter. Of course, he opens it up and it's a picture of him, like, from his previous life and he, like, just about shits a brick. He almost has a fucking heart attack right there on the spot. He, uh, this is his second fucking thing right because like stephanie comes home and she's like oh you got any mail for me and he's like and he hides it behind his back he's like uh yeah but it's something you shouldn't have or you shouldn't see and she's like what and he's like yeah cosmopolitan i was just kidding bye where did he put that envelope up his ass i guess (laughs) where did the cosmo magazine come from i didn't see that either (laughs) yeah me neither had it there just in case he ever had to swap it out john hurt's palm just kind of pokes out of the fucking mailbox and just the portal opens up yeah the, it, it, he's got terry's got his hand behind him the portal opens up and it just hands it into his hand and he's like oh here you go right here terry reach just reach back i have you i got you Psst, terry terry here you go uh let's be honest uh terry o'quinn's character in this film is probably like the mdu's winter soldier mm. i don't like that <laughs> <laughs> like it at all <laughs> from the standpoint that you know when john hurt he needs something taken care of like somebody's giving him trouble he just calls up terry and he's like yeah i got a new family i need you to kill how how, how fast can you take care of the one you're working with currently terry yeah so what is it it's like it's like birdhouse mustache <laughs> toupee contacts family kids family <laughs> he's like he's like you know debating it with john hurt he's like yeah but i, I kind of feel like this one's going really well and he's like ah you, you're gonna fuck it up just give it a week or two just 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 Take care of it now. Hurt just opens up that red notebook and just starts reading off the code word while shaking his head. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So if that's Terry O'Quinn Origins. I mean, we did say he was the fucking, uh, you know, million dollar man, right? No, no. I'm saying if that's Terry O'Quinn Origins, right? Then he's, then after he's killed and his fucking hands are severed and do go their separate ways, he's what? Tending the fields and in the, at the fucking uh, wizard's mansion? Uh, you know, if he's working for John Hurt, we... Again, we got to establish the uh, the party lines here. No, I'm saying he's a good he's a he's a, he's an antihero now, and he's at the wizard's place with no hands, like t- tilling the field, like like fucking Winter Soldier in Wakanda. Oh, he's tending the giant garden that Meteor Man grew. Yes, <laughs> with a fucking rake in his mouth, just like dragging it along. He's got no hands, and he lost his memory. Yeah. Well, he's he's got the Gordy Belcher treatment. He's got those two. Uh... Yes, man, that works out too well. You know what? Uh, I didn't know you were going to take my idea and go there with it, but I kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> there are pieces of Terry all over the MDU. And, you, you know, the wizards are like, yeah, wasn't he a murderer? Aren't we all? Yes. Someone's like, you were stepping an ant? Ah. <laughs> As Dobby's fucking cold, dead body is on the floor. <laughs> um. So. Oh, dude, we have this great scene. We, he goes into the basement. Yeah, yeah. He This triggers another episode. And he goes into the basement, and he's like, ah, you fucking, he's like, motherfucker, and he's got the picture, and he's like, he's like, you were supposed to die or whatever, like, we're supposed to get rid of you or something like that. And, uh, he, this is, like, where he really loses his shit, uh, and he starts, like, grabbing tools and, like, 
feigning like stabbing yeah uh stephanie and shit and he like there's a part where he like rips a picture of them off his workbench and like throws it and then like grabs a hammer and like you think he's about to fucking break and go upstairs and fucking kill somebody and then susan like calls him for dinner and he immediately just fucking like snaps out of it and drops the hammer it's so fucking creepy dude he also has that flannel jacket on while he's doing this yes yes which he did not have on in the previous scene so he 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 made a point to put that on before he fucking melted down it's the flannel of fits <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's that is that like the amazing technicolor dream coat <laughs> sort of like you were saying though joe while he's like pantomiming with these tools he's also like has this photo in his hand he's like slapping it like it's a person yeah well it's him it's his other identity <laughs> yeah well when he comes out of it he picks the picture up and just to clarify, it's of his current family. Yes. Uh, I believe it was actually the picture taken at the barbecue. Mm-hmm. He, he, like, kisses it, and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. And he, and he hangs it back up and goes up for dinner. Blah. He, like, recenters himself and, like, comes back to Jerry rather than um, the other persona, which is fucking weird. The Green Goblin? <laughs> <laughs> you know what you have to do, Terry. Back to formula. <laughs> <laughs> Harry. Uh, these pieces are fucking falling into place a little bit too well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pumpkin bomb. We go back to uh, Jim uh, Ogilvy, and he's he's just sitting outside the fucking police station, just sleeping in his fucking shit box. And this cop comes up to me. He's like, "Hey, uh, you parked in my parking spot." And he's like, "Yeah, well, uh, I figured that would get your attention." I learned this trick from a man named Dan Haggerty. <laughs> The only difference is there's not just a fucking massive smoke cloud billowing out of it. I call it detective work without any actual work. It's This is a Blue Man Kuma, man. Um, I know him from Watchers, and I was like, why, that guy looks so fucking familiar, but yeah. We talked about it a little already, but essentially he breaks down the whole history of Jerry, how they don't know how many people he's killed previously, he could have been doing this for years, and uh, they have zero leads on it because he was so meticulous when he killed his previous family. And he, he tells Jim, he's like, listen, unless he acts again, we're not going to catch this guy. And Jim's like, you're just going to let him kill another fucking family? He's like, we have no leads. What part of that don't you understand? I don't know. Well, guess what? It's time to become the, the punishment, you know, the guilty need to be punished. And he's like, okay, motherfucker, go get a gun and kill him. <laughs> Straight up. He's like, if it were... and, then, and then it cuts to Jim at the fucking shooting range. I'm going to become the discipliner. <laughs> Discipliner. <laughs> he what, what is wait? What does he have on his shirt? Just like <laughs> instead of a skull, <laughs> just, just like just like a wagging finger. Just like, it's, <laughs> it's like a sad face. <laughs> the discipliner. I'm the discipliner. It's 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 a happy face. Like he goes in the opposite direction. He goes like full Walmart. <laughs> It's like a, it's a smiley face with X eyes. Yeah. Oh, my God. The, the bad people need to be disciplined. I slept for like 10 hours. I feel all kind of discombobulated. Whatever. So after he goes to the shooting range, we cut back to Jerry, 
and uh, I guess he's trying to fix the family situation so he doesn't have to murder everybody, so he goes to the high school to talk to the principal, and he's like, yeah, uh, I know Stephanie's difficult, but, like, come on, you really gotta expel her, like, can't we do something about this? And he fucking manages to pull it off, dude. Yeah, I mean, again, he's a con man. He's good at BSing people. Do I gotta stab you? What? Nothing. (laughs) He's like, are you gonna do it or uh, kill you and your family? Rick Moranis comes in, he's like, hey, uh... Hodges, right? <laughs> we work together in uh, California, right? No. Well, I gotta, I gotta kill him too. Looks like a two for two. Yeah, Booger's like, oh, it was the peas. Oh my god, he killed Booger. Yeah, he's dead. <laughs> oh, he would. He fucking would. <laughs> so I thought this was so great because there's a scene. I forget exactly where it lands, but uh, the doc calls the the house and he, he wants to talk to Terry. Are Jerry because Stephanie's like, yeah, my stepfather's real asshole, blah, 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 all this stuff. Uh, I, you know, he scares me and all this shit. So he's like, okay, well, I'd like to talk to him. So he calls the house and um, he's, uh, Jerry's downstairs like painting a birdhouse and Susan calls down to him and he's like, oh, she's like, hey, yeah, the doc's on the phone, wants to talk to you. He's like, no. He's like, tell him I'm not here. And if he calls back, tell him I'm still not here. And she's like, okay, uh, yeah, he's indisposed or whatever. The fucking doctor ends up finding out that he's a realtor and, like, books an appointment with him to go see a house? This is a brazen fucking doctor. Um, I'm pretty sure that's illegal, but okay. Yeah, especially, like, here's the thing. If he had suspicion that this guy was committing murders, breaking the law, like, like causing people harm, it's a bit easier to hand wave away and say, like, your heart was in the right place and maybe your brain wasn't. Yeah. Um, and this is like, uh, you're kind of overstepping some boundaries. Yeah. Um, before we get to that wonderful scene, though, we, we jump back to the house and, and um, Stephanie opens the mailbox and Jerry has replaced the <laughs> photo that he that came for her for the newspaper with like another env- like he, he changes the photo out and puts the envelope back in the mailbox and she pulls it out and this fucking it's fucking Ned Flanders. Like- <laughs> Yeah, kinda. It is this Ned Flanders looking at like a big toothy grin, glasses, and a porn stuff like and like a like a, a you know, a pedophile mustache. <laughs> it's horrifying. Yeah. There's also a hilarious like evidence of editing on the on his forehead because like even though it's a black and white photo, it's very clearly two complexions laid on top of each other, and then he has this weird receding hairline. It's the funniest fucking slap job of a photo edit I've ever seen. Well, apparently it's a it's a picture of somebody that worked on the set. Yeah. <laughs> and she's almost disappointed that it's not him. Yeah. Well, she's convinced after all these meltdowns and, like, you know, the, the, the timeline adding up to her. It'd be even funnier if the photo was, like, even poorly edited and she's like, oh, I was wrong! Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, they go full, like, Simpsons movie or wrongfully accused where it's just, like, the same picture of Terry Quinn, but there's like marker all over it. Yeah, right. Yeah, she, he just drew fake glasses and gave himself a little devil mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I was so sure it was him, but he does not have a unibrow. Oh, it's a different person altogether. I, I'm pretty sure there is a throwaway scene where he like goes into like some photo editing place. He does. I don't know how, where he got that photo. Did he just like point at one on the wall and says, That one, print me out a copy this size? <laughs> that ugly motherfucker. Here, do me a favor, make this different, but no, don't make it look like me though. Make it look, I mean, that is me, but don't make it look like me more. Make it look like somebody else. Make him look laughable. In fact, I have a Polaroid on me. Can I just take a picture of you and you just print this out for me? <laughs> uh, 
Not usually our policy, but okay. Can you just take a picture of yourself and just paste it over there? There's an unseen subplot where this guy gets arrested. <laughs> yeah, right, he gets taken in. Your photo turned up in a crime scene. <laughs> <laughs> we go to this fucking scene where the doctor is posing as someone trying to buy a house. And, uh... He goes in this house with Terry O'Quinn, and Terry's like, oh, yeah. He's like, oh, brand new flooring. I forgot to tell you about that. He's like, oh, yeah, kitchen back here. He's like, yeah, kitchen's right back here. And just basically, like, bullshitting with them a little. And then the doctor can't fucking help himself. He starts being a doctor and asking him a little bit too many questions. Well, it's very casual at first because he comes in, and he knows how much family means to Jerry. Like, he knows all this shit about him already from Stephanie. So he's like, he's like... He's like, oh, you're going to come in here? You got a family? You married or whatever? He's like, nope, a uh, bachelor. And he's like, I don't believe in all that family crap or whatever. And he's like, <laughs> and you see fucking Jerry, like, twitch. There's like a frame skip and his head goes to the side. He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like Sean was saying, like, they're basically conversing. And then, like, Duck just goes a little too far by, like, asking him something personal. And he's like... So what's the deal here? You in, you interested in me or or the house? And he's like he's like oh I'm sorry my wife says the same thing or blah 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 and he's like right like he takes his work you know into his personal conversations because he can't help it and he's like you said you were single and he's like oh well uh, I was divorced and I was like you blew it doc you fucked especially because you know Jerry had this two by four fucking planted in the corner apparently he's like you ever seen the movie Walking Tall. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the room is under construction, and Jerry's just like, yeah, that's not good enough. And he takes this fucking two by four and starts beating this man. And he's like, who are? You? He's like, how did you find me? How did you get on to me? And he's like, I just want to. He thinks he's like a cop or something. Yeah, he's like, I just want to buy a house. And he caves this motherfucker's skull in with a two by four. This was also visceral. Yeah. When we say two by four, and I mentioned walking tall, this thing is gargantuan it is it's a giant fucking slab of wood it's like wwf yes yes well they they definitely the way they shoot it from like down up like you know uh yeah it, it makes it look a lot more intimidating mm-hmm. uh yeah you just see him bringing this thing down over and over again and there's just like like it's such a ridiculous sound it's almost comical but it's also just enough to make you go like oh dear god yeah um and he just keeps whacking this dude in the fucking head until he collapses twitching <sighs> dude and, and he takes the fucking guy's words and throws them back at him and he, he just goes yeah this house is for a family you know what i mean home sweet home all that crap and then he just fucking finishes him off let's see you get reservations at dorsey and now you stupid fuck <laughs> <laughs> i just want to get out that like before he 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 goes the rock on him <laughs> this whole thing has like palpable tension that you can just you can feel um and it's very clearly like before jerry knows what's up it's one guy posturing for like some kind of you know psychological advantage over this guy but he's not as cerebral as jerry is so as soon as like a single crap ha- crack happens jerry smells blood and is on this guy immediately it's fucking awesome i love it well he has to be he doesn't even know it's the doc yet no he has no idea he's like that's the best part of this whole exchange yeah he's just like oh you're asking one too many questions i don't particularly like and that is enough for you to die yeah he's also like shitting on the whole like family man thing and that that also triggers jerry yeah he's triggering him almost intentionally Mm -hmm. to see what he'll do (laughs) yeah to see if he's a fucking maniac or or not yeah he learned the hard way dude (laughs) 
it's one thing to hear from Stephanie that, oh, this guy's crazy, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's another thing for him to actually, like, experience it. Oh, totally. Yeah. And then he's, like, hovering over the body and, like, muttering some other bullshit. And he's like, yeah, let's see who the hell you are. And he and he finds the guy's wallet. And he's like, Dr. Bornadart. <laughs> Whatever the fuck your name is. I don't remember. Dr. Born again. Boner mount. And he's like, okay, well, we're, we're going to take care of this. And he rolls this fucking guy up in this, like, paint. Uh, Drop cloth. You know, tarp. Like a fucking slab of meat. Hey, yeah, dude, he's fucking wrapping him up like a German butcher. He's like, okay, here you go. He fucking... <laughs> he gives him the old fucking uh, uh, drive you off a... This is excessive! Drive you off a cliff suicide? Fake suicide? But, dude, he takes this to another level. I mean, I guess he's trying to hide the evidence of the bludgeoning this guy fucking uh, took. If I burn his corpse, no one will find his shattered skull. No one will find the paper hanging out of the fucking gas tank. Right? He, like, he like stick, he, like, rips some paper off, puts it in the gas tank, lights it up, and then just fucking floors this guy off a fucking cliff and, like, into an embankment, and he explodes. And then Jerry just watches and smiles and walks down the street because he doesn't have a car. <laughs> Uh, and whistles. He walks all the way home. I guess he didn't go that far from his house because he gets there by, you know, morning. No one thinks anything of it. I guess. Because it cuts to the next scene where uh, Stephanie's kind of maintenancing her bicycle and he comes in through the garage door and, like, he doesn't get her attention right away. It's like he's, like, taking it in almost. And then he's like, oh, yeah, Stephanie, uh, yeah, the doctor's office called. There was a terrible accident. She's like, oh, you know, so I, I won't go to my session this week? He's like, ah, uh, no, he's dead. Right, but the way that it's acted and handled, like, the actual dialogue happening here is very, like... Oh, it's great. ...emotional to the point where, like, he's manipulating her feelings. Oh. Oh, yeah, a hardcore. I mean, I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version, but Joe's 100% right. No, no, I know. I just want to. I just want to kind of break down like what exactly like the emotional weight of the scene and stuff. And he's like, he's like manipulating her emotions and then like getting her to trust him more or confide in him. Yes, create a bond with her over murdering her fucking therapist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he has one line that got under my skin, and it was like, uh, he's like, yeah, in a way, he's like, you know, he he's the one that brought us together. Finally, I was like. Ooh, you son of a bitch. Yeah, and I was like, damn, that is some fucking, that is some stone cold shit right there. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, while they're bonding, um, we cut back to Jim briefly because he owns the house now that Jerry killed, you know, the old house that uh, Jim's sister lived in before she was murdered. Hey, good for him because he's been living out of his fucking car, man. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a leg up on Haggerty in that case. (laughs) But except the whole fucking room where where his sister was murdered is still all covered in blood. Yeah. And uh, he's kind of, I guess, looking for clues or something because, you know, he's at a dead end. And uh, he goes into, you know, I I guess Jerry just has a murder basement in every house. He makes a point to make sure he has a fucking basement in every house he buys. Do you have a basement? No. Get away from me. He needs that fucking, that little carpentry place, dude, to like fucking soothe the savage beast sometimes. Gotta make that birdhouse. Yeah. Jim goes down there and he's just looking for whatever. And, uh... Man, uh, this this got me because he has a fucking photo exactly like he does now, also in the exact same spot on a workbench of his previous family. It's... Yeah. Joe, I'm going to steal a word that you like to use occasionally, and I think it fits here perfectly. It's fucking bone-chilling. Yeah, man. It sure is. It's- well, it's... it's it, You know, imagine having that suspicion confirmed, you know, in such a hard way, where it's like... It, one, it's also right under your nose. It was in your family's house. Yeah. You've conversed with this man. And, like, and like when he meets the cop... 
like uh, earlier, and the guy's like, well, do you think he did it? He's like, uh, I could definitely see it. <laughs> probably most likely. Like, he, he knew this guy was off. He probably he didn't think he would kill his fucking sister, but he knew this guy had some kind of screws loose. Right. And he would know him if he saw him again, for sure. Oh, yeah. He finds a magazine, like a travel magazine, with some pages ripped out. I thought this was a great piece of writing on, on, on the writer's part uh, for the script. To be perfectly honest. It, it is like literally the only uh, mistake, I guess I'll say, that, that Jerry made. And it, it's it's kind of, you know, indicative of how little the police cared about this case. Mm. Because Jim's down there for, what, a day or two when he finds this? Yeah, he, he goes down there and it's like, it's like on the workbench. And it's a magazine and he's like flipping through it to see if there's like anything in it. Like, because uh, it was like folded over or something. And there's, like, a bunch of pages, like, ripped out of the middle. And he's like, well, what the fuck? That's fucking weird, right? He's literally... Also, he's literally grasping for anything that he can latch on to. So this could easily have been missed by the cops and not even fucking thought of, you know? Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Um, So he hides it. He hightails it to the, the fucking library. <laughs> we were talking about this before we recorded, and we were just like, yeah, remember that being a thing? Yeah. What is the, like, libraries are still a thing, but, like, I don't think you can walk into a library now and have, like, just piles and piles and piles of, like, Time magazine or Travels magazine. Like, no, because it looks like that in, like, antique shops now and like used bookstores have like a magazine section just it looks just like it yeah so he's able to and plus this is a magazine from like i don't know uh, well like a year ago yeah just out on the shelf well he's got to flip through it a little yeah he, he ends up flipping to the pages that are missing and um it's like the 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 best places to raise a family in washington the place is like Oak Ridge, Washington or some shit. Um, and that's how he kind of narrows down where to look. Right, because he, he's looking for a town that fits his fucking, you know, perimeter that he's figured out in his head. Right, exactly. And then he jumps, clicks his heels and goes, it's a red letter day for Crank Vessel. <laughs> Here I come, Terry or Daniel, whatever your name is. We uh, we go back to the, the house, Jerry's house, and... Uh, we have that bonding kind of expanded upon between him and Stephanie and, and Susan, really, to a point. <sighs> it's so creepy. Of them building this birdhouse that he's been kind of meticulously working on in his murder basement. And she comes out and, like, again, like, Stephanie's been so against everything that he's done or, or is doing. And she's like, she's like, hey, hey, Jerry, uh, can I help you with that? And he's like, okay, buttercup, come over here and help me. And they do, and she does, and they put up this fucking birdhouse together, and everybody's happy, and and then like we cut to like Thanksgiving dinner that they're having, and like man, we're so happy that we're a family, and everything is fine for about five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Also, we didn't realize this was a Thanksgiving movie. Oh yeah. Even if it's literally yes. one scene, just want to point that out, like the fucking boneyard. I'm pretty sure this is a Halloween and Thanksgiving movie oh yeah like the, the timeline on this is a little skewed because i think there's a lot of time jumps that they just don't really explain it's just kind of like they go to the next important bit yeah it's not important i think it has a lot of time that's condensed which would actually make um what's uh, uh revenge man uh what the fuck is his name um, jim jim that would make his investigation seem like increasingly more believable because that means he's doing almost nothing but just combing over stuff related to this oh yeah yeah they do a good job dude the guy is literally living out of his car just so he could fucking try to find the killer yeah and not once does he ever change his clothes no they do a good job of like showing that the the, the passage of time without having to go like you know show a fucking calendar or whatever you know oh yeah it's super effective. You don't need that. No, you don't. Um, and it, even the Thanksgiving line, it, I didn't realize it was Thanksgiving and he just did it in passing because Terry's like, 
or I fucking keep saying Terry. Jerry is like, uh, yeah, it's all good. We know what you're talking about. <laughs> he has a line where he's like, he's like, you know, I never thought I'd have the Thanksgiving with my family again or whatever. And it's like touching to them, you know, to Susan and Stephanie. And they're like, well, we're glad to have you in our life or whatever stepdad stepfather tm and for him that's like a weird victory lap like ha i got it like he did it like he accomplished it well because he feels like he fixed the problem yeah yeah but it's fleeting right literally <laughs> he's also so just like unstable and fucking thin skin that like the, you know the first infraction this family commits he's like now everyone's gotta die oh yeah yeah unless it's perfect and like the next big thing, you're like, okay, well, we overcame that hurdle of being together. But now it's like, oh, well, Stephanie's 16 and she wants a boyfriend. And he's like, what, what, what? Dude, he flushes it all down the toilet. <laughs> oh, he sure does. <laughs> because I, I don't know if it's supposed to be the same night or within a few days. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie's at like a, uh, you know, a soda club or whatever, like a little bar down the street. And uh, for teenagers, I guess. And uh, she goes home with the guy from earlier. That, you know, there's been a few scenes in the movie already. The guy who was standing up for in class, and they, they kind of have some sexual tension in a previous scene. But they've been best friends for, like, years or whatever. Yeah, and he kind of, like, rolls up on his scooter and tells her, like, yeah, I had to dump my girlfriend, she's an asshole. You know, planting that seed that clearly they like each other. Excuse me, it's a Vespa, as I was corrected earlier today. <laughs> oh, oh, excuse me, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, well, no, you said, you said moped. Scooter makes sense. I did say moped. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Vespa. I want to get on one. I want to drive down the Italian countryside listening to Stelvio Cipriani, okay? Hell yeah. Ciao. Ciao, motherfucker. She is basically like, oh, I'll only go on that with you if you let me drive. Which I thought was fucking great. Yeah, so she's going in the street, and they're bullshitting, and they eventually get home to, to her house. Yeah, they have a little, they have a moment, and uh, uh, he kisses her goodbye, and I have to imagine that Jerry was probably just, like, in the window, like, with an eyeball poking out of the curtain. Oh, yeah, man, he was he was fucking going full Billy from Black Christmas. Yeah, he, you did what? <laughs> <laughs> it's a rabbit. Yeah, and, like, this happens, and he fucking pops out, and as Joe just uh, mentioned a little mile, a while ago, he's now Kyle's mom from South Park, and he's like, what, what, what? <laughs> Dude, he goes, you could go to jail. This girl's 16 years old. And he's like, yeah, uh, so am I. And he's like, yeah, me too, dude. And Car uh, Susan comes out and he's like, this punk was trying to rape her on the, on the on the stoop. She's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I've known this kid my whole longer than you. Even Susan's like, uh, yeah, that's the neighbor's boy. Like, I've known him for like all my life. Yeah. Well, well then, you know, Stephanie starts to kind of mouth off to Jerry and because she's like, oh, it's your father. Respect him. She's like, he's not my father, and he's fucking crazy. You you don't see what he does in the basement. And basically, Susan like can't handle it, so she slaps Stephanie, and she fucking runs off. Oh, she gives her the five across the face. And, and you know, Jerry thinks he's like, you know, he got it under control. You know, and, Ste and Susan turns to him, and, and she's like, what the fuck? Like, what? You just you just ruined it. Like, all the goodwill's gone. He's like, well, what, what are you talking about? And he's like, no, it's not. He's like, it's your fault. Well, that that's what sets him off when she says it's all his fault. He, like, snaps. That's, that is his fucking Robert De Niro from Goodfellas moment when he decides to kill all the fucking gangsters because they're, they're flouting their money. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He fucking, he, again, he has that just blank-faced reaction, and then he's just like, that realization, right, that he's just, like, staring off in a space, and he's like, well, that's it. Time to kill the family again. I gotta start all over again. I fucked it up. Time to blood rage, TM. Time 
Well, and that's the thing. It's 100% his fault. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's not Stephanie or Susan. Like, he's the one that came in and fucking interrupted their lives. And now he's the one that's like, well, I, you know, I got to fix it. Well, he completely overreacted. And now Stephanie's against him again. Well, it's funny because, like, I imagine he would see, what's his name, Paul? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I Some shit. Boy. Um, I imagine he would see him as an invader, despite being an invader himself. And it's like, it's he's extremely territorial so like if someone else were to enter the household he's like what no like we can't have a third part i'm sorry a fourth party involved in this fucking in this household it's also going back to that whole thing where he's you know you know the all-american dad he's old school because he even says like oh you know he even says like in an earlier scene when uh susan's joking about stephanie having a boyfriend he's like oh you know we got a whole life ahead of us for that she doesn't need to be dating any boys like he, he's that stereotype 16's too young it just becomes the fucking preacher from the giant spider invasion no sex before marriage <laughs> slam cut to the next morning where he is just quitting his job just like he did previously oh Dude, and he's like, he's like, okay, everybody, like, sorry, I gotta resign anyway. It was been, it's been great. I'll see you later. I love you all. Bye. And he just like walks out with a his handful of shit. I actually had to rewind it because I'm like, wait, wait a second, wait, what's happening? And then I was like, oh. <laughs> well, I I love this part too, especially because Jim now kind of knows where this guy lives. At least you know he has a, a much closer. Uh, ballpark than he did previously, so he's kind of going down. He's narrowed it down to a town or like a county. Yeah, exactly. You know. You know, 50 square miles, if that. And uh, he's driving down the street, and he just happens to pass Jerry as Jerry's, like, loading his box of shit into his car. I I just really like that. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, and then he, like, a Jim uh, goes to another police station. I guess the, the, either that town, I think it's that town's police station. And um, this guy's a real asshole, like the lieutenant there. And he's like, hey, man, I just I need to see all your, your, your marriage certificates from the past year. He's like, how about you go fuck yourself? How dare you ask me to work? Yeah, he's like, uh, you're going to have to you're gonna have to come back tomorrow or whatever because I don't feel like it. And then he just leaves. And then he goes, what an asshole. And the receptionist is like, hey, uh, you don't have the right to call him asshole. you got to at least be around him for 30 minutes to get that right. Yeah. <laughs> And he's like, he's like, hey, hey, uh, Annie, uh, or hey, Miss, whatever, can I, can you help me? And she's like, I don't know, can you, can, can I? And she's like, she's like, why would I do that? And he's like, he's like, well, because asshole wouldn't like it, and uh, you're hot or whatever. And she's like, call me Annie. Here, she's like, I like the way your beard has borders. <laughs> yeah, I like how it's painted on. Thanks. What is that stage makeup? Don't worry about it. Can you grow a beard? It's okay. You're cute. What do you like? 20 years younger than me? Let's... <laughs> maybe. And you still can't grow a beard? That's adorable. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we come to find out she does give him the information because he starts knocking on doors in the neighborhood trying to find this guy. But uh, before that happens, we actually have a scene where, um, you know, Stephanie is going to a new therapist, you know, trying to continue her therapy... And she goes to walk in the door, and it's, like, this stuffy older woman, and she's just like, Stephanie? And she's like, uh, sorry, wrong room. And she just fucking bails. <laughs> yep. This part's really sad. Yeah, she ends up, like, going um into his office and, like... Her old doctor's. Yeah, her old doctor's office, and, like, she's, like, going through his pictures and stuff, and there's, like, a picture of him. I believe there's a picture of him and her, right? Well, it's him and, him, like, I assume, like, his kid. Yeah, and then, like... On his like day planner, like on his desk, uh, he has the appointment written down and the address. Whoops! Of when he went to go meet uh, Terry O'Quinn, and she, you know, she immediately was like, "Uh, what? Wait, what?" 
So she sneaks into the fucking house. Yeah, and she's, like, trying to find clues and shit. And then uh, there's, like, a jump scare here of, like, some other realtor, like, hey, what are you, what are you doing? And she's like, oops, sorry, bye. And he's like, huh, I thought I thought this house was uninhabited. Anyway. I, I love that he trails off. He's like, I thought this place was empty. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, whatever. Ignore the blood in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the ghost. Yeah, so, so she's really starting to piece this together. Yeah. But she doesn't have all the evidence. Yeah. This fucking scene, dude. Oh, man. So, again, Terry has, uh, Jerry has broken again, and he's going to murder his family, so he has to get ready to do that. Uh, so again, here he goes. Uh, he starts his transformation again, and it turns out that his hair that he cut is a fucking wig, and he pulls it off. Yeah. Uh, and then he like glues a mustache on. He like transforms from Terry O'Quinn into fucking Frank Oz. Yeah. Or I was gonna say, uh, make the Black Christmas reference go all the way around, Mister Fucking Harrison. Yeah. Well, there they there they go. Same one and the same. Uh, I have just two things I want to say about this, and then we can move on. One, uh. There are some scenes in this movie where Terry O'Quinn's wig kind of looks like shit and it really bothered me. And then when this scene happened, I was like, oh, okay, movie. I really now, now I like that. When he discards a muskrat into his fucking suitcase too, like <laughs> a fucking giant piece of hair. <laughs> yeah. And and just my second point uh, with that rough sex he was having with Susan, I don't know how she didn't rip that off his fucking head by mistake, but uh, maybe I digress. Don't touch the hair. <laughs> <laughs> she goes to reach for it. He just like slaps her fucking hand away like, what did I say? It was in the marriage certificate. None of that. It was in the prenup. But yeah, he's on a boat just transforming himself in the bathroom. I guess he locks the door or some shit. Dude, he fucking shuts down again. And it's one of those things where he's just like, okay, this is my new life. This is my new persona. Yeah. Bill Hodgkins. And, uh... He goes into this other town. I think it was called, like, Rosewell. Yeah, Ro- Rosedale. Yes. And then on the sign, just to keep playing up this theme, it says, like, in quotations, a great place to raise a family. He sure does. He fucking walks into this insurance agency. Yup. <laughs> just gets a job immediately. Guy never touched insurance in his whole life, I guess. And he's just like, yeah, well, what insurance haven't I dealt with? Uh, yeah, I've uh, been in the game a long time. And he's like, but I'd particularly like to do something with family, for family oriented, perhaps life insurance or something. And the guy's like, that sounds great. You start tomorrow or whatever. By the way, today's my last day. <laughs> yeah. They look at each other. They do like the Larry David thing like... <laughs> hey, you doing what I'm doing? Ah, what are you doing? I don't know, but are you doing what I'm doing? I don't know. Am I doing what you're doing? These sequences, this like this string of sequences, I mean, they eventually all come to a head, but like nobody's dying. There's no death or anything. You don't need it. No, you don't need it because it's so fucking scary. Like this guy is just turning into a different person and creating a new life in a different town on his downtime for the day. You know what I mean? Like he's like, oh, I'm going to work, but I'm really making a whole nother life somewhere else and then coming home and pretending that I'm still leaving this one. It's fucking bonkers he's like well i got a break in the schedule might as well you know make up a new face yeah doesn't he kind of find um someone there that he can potentially victimize like you know next time oh yeah well because he buys a house right next to this woman yeah yeah he rents like an apartment and he sees her and he walks up and he's like oh yeah huh yeah i'm new in town he's like uh you got anybody with you and she's like ah, i have my, my my kids no husband he's like huh no husband winks at the camera starts licking his lips <laughs> ew <laughs> I mean, he might as well have, like, full gobsmack licking him. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. 
There's a quick scene too where like again Jim's going around knocking on the doors and Terry or Jerry's not home and Susan opens the door and he's like hey I'm looking for uh, Jerry uh, whatever's and she's like oh he's not home right now he's like okay well uh, maybe uh, uh, I, I, I'll find him if he comes back or whatever we're, we're old friends I'll come back later and she's like okay because she goes oh I could tell him and he's, and he's like I'd rather surprise the guy so Susan goes to call Jerry at his office and he's not there and she tells her that he resigned a week ago. Yeah, and she's like, well, where the fuck has he been going all week? They're like, yeah, we don't know. Exactly. But, like, Jerry has the so much balls, that, or confidence, rather, that, like, he's he just fucking bets on the fact that she's not going to call the office ever, you know? Oh, yeah. He doesn't give a fuck. He's going to kill her anyway. I think at this point, because of the, the the length he's been doing this and, like, the psychological unraveling, he's like, whatever, it's just part of the plan. Like, she's going to be dead by tomorrow anyway. Yeah, everything, it doesn't, doesn't matter. You know, also, keep in mind, as far as we know, no other family that he's murdered has had someone then go try to fucking find him. Like, this is the first time that, we, that we're aware of watching the movie where someone is, like, actively hunting this fucking guy down and knocking on doors trying to find him. That, too, and nothing's kind of been out of place, but now that that wrinkle is in there, it's like, there's a need for suspicion but also susan's not stupid either no and she's not at all. she's not willingly ignorant either you know jerry has done nothing to the family with the exception of the outburst that he had about the about the boyfriend he's not done anything that would be like a red flag rather than just like stephanie just acting out because she's angsty yeah you know after that whole scene where he flips out they have like a quick dinner scene where it's totally silent and it zooms in on jerry Ugh. and uh, susan is just like oh we need to fix this we need to do something about this and he's like i am fixing it but he also has a quick scene where he sees that family from earlier with the little girl and he, and he creepily waves at her yeah which I, I i don't really get that scene other than the fact that it's like probably him in his head imagining like oh this is like the perfect family this is what i'm trying to represent yeah that should be me basically yeah it's his one hour photo moment <laughs> yeah right yeah what do you yeah like literally uncle whatever what is his name in that movie z or some shit silas i think or something like that silas uncle Sai. and he's like hey how you doing i'm just eating your food and sleeping on your couch uh real quick so that that dinner scene that sean just mentioned there's no dialogue in that scene it just zooms in on terry o'quinn and he like shiftily like looks to either side of him at stephanie and susan and Without saying a word, that scene is so fucking creepy because this man is plotting... How he's going to kill him. Yeah, to not only fucking uh, uh, get get a new life, but how is he going to murder them? Yep. And he's just eating his chicken, thinking about it, and they have no idea what the fuck is going on. Right. And then we we, let's, we jump back to the, the whole phone call situation, and, uh, you know, Terry, you know, starts coming in, whistling, you know, pretending like he's coming home from work. He comes in whistling, and he's like, oh, hey, Susan, how you doing? She's like, don't fuck with me. Like, don't BS me. And he's like, huh, what are you talking about? She's like, where you been all day? He's like, oh, I was at work. I was showing a house down the street. She's like, no, you weren't. I called your fucking job. Like, you're. You, they said you quit a week ago. And this motherfucker tries to, like, play it off. Like, oh, the receptionist, what an asshole. They, these new people, they don't know what they're doing. Yes. You know, I never got anybody fired. The receptionists are the fuck-ups here. <laughs> she almost buys it. Yeah. Except that he goes, how could you forget a name like Hodgkins? Yeah, because she starts to actually believe him. Yeah, and she goes, what? Oh, and then we get the line of the movie. Oh, God, this is fucking fantastic. He turns around and he goes, what did I say? And she's like, you said Hodgkins. And he's like, who am I here? And I love it, because like he's, at this point, full transparency, the veil is up, and he's like, 
I don't care. Like, let me gather my own fucking bullshit in this, right here for a second because you're now inconsequential to this. Oh, yeah. And she's like, Jerry? Question mark? And he's like, that's it. And he fucking Oof. beats this woman in the face. He, she, he, she gets fucking Don Rickles, man. Oh, man. This looked fucking painful. Um, Yeah, it was it's pretty brutal. Like, the the violence in this film, when it happens, is very impactful. Um, Also, there's something to be said about, like, I don't know why it bugs me so much, but when you grab something that's, like, not a weapon or, like, something you'd associate with, like, you know, inflicting violence on someone and you inflict almost maximum amount of damage on someone you can with it, it really rubs me the wrong way because it's just there's something extra brutal about it. Yeah, no, totally. It's just a phone receiver. And and while this is all going on, we see a scene with Jim basically knocking on a door. And there's it, this is kind of a weird scene. I mean, I guess they're just trying to show how people, you know, live their lives, but it's like this couple arguing over like, <laughs> yeah. oh, you cheated on this on me with this guy, you piece of shit. He's like, whoa, 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 buddy. I'm just here to ask you about this guy in a picture. Yeah, this guy, this actor, I thought he was Squeak from Basketball, but it's um the guy who plays uh Mr. Keen's grandson in the It TV series whoa yeah not that anybody gives a shit but i was like I, I that guy looks super familiar it's a small man the whole point of that is like he grabs him and he's like he's like he's like yes yeah, sleep with my wife he's like look buddy how about i fucking punch you in the face he's like he's like look i don't know i don't know who the fuck's sleeping with your wife and i'm not a goddamn cab driver and he's like have you seen this fucking guy and he shows him a picture of of jerry and he's like oh you know what he, he looks like the guy who sold us this house uh He's got a beard, though. Yeah. And he's like, wait, a fucking realtor? And he's like, yep, a realtor. And then Jim's like, oh, fuck. And then he races back to um, the house. This scene cracked me up. I know it's supposed to be super serious, but when he peels out of this driveway, this supposed cab driver pulls up, and he almost plows into this dude. Yeah, he drives over the fucking lawn. There's a couple things in this scene that kind of took me out of it a little bit. Sure. What, like, like Jim driving down the street going so fast he gets air? He fucking hits a ramp, like... What's well, his railroad tracks? <laughs> yeah. All of that's fine. It's when he comes to the nuns walking across the street with, like, the Catholic yeah. school kids. <laughs> Suddenly, I was like, what the fuck is this airplane? When somebody in a wheelchair gonna pop up next? And then a walker? Like... Right, and he's, like, looking at his watch, like, come on, goddammit. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, like, I don't know if it was meant to be a comical scene, but it, it's really just there to slow him down. Like, seven jugglers follow the nun, like... Shakes the clown, walks by, drunk out of his mind. <laughs> Backflips across the fucking street. Don't fucking honk your heart at me. Honestly, Shakes would probably come over and beat him half to death with a fucking pin. Jim's Jim's quest would have ended with him being beaten lifeless in his fucking driver's seat. By a clown. Which, I mean, doesn't change the ending. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, we're about to get there. So so he starts fucking attacking Susan with the phone, and she, she immediately is like, oh, fuck. She runs towards the basement to get away from him. And this motherfucker just slaps the shit out of her, and she falls down the basement stairs and is knocked the fuck out. Sure does. Um, it's, uh, I mean, maybe I'm oversimplifying that a little, but it it's super intense. I, I, I think me and him both thought she was dead. Yeah, uh, he knocks her down the stairs, and then he just does something so bizarre, he, like, picks up the kitchen knives and dumps them all out of the holder. He's got to pick one. Yeah, he's got to get the best one. As if to be like, which one's the best one? And he picks up the fucking Michael Myers knife. <laughs> which which one's the best family murdering knife? All right, a good old stabbing weapon. Ah, this is the same kind of one I used last time. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. It, oh, yeah, right? It all has to be perfect, right? It has to be the same weapon and everything? Well, that's the, that's his whole thing, yeah. So he goes, to, he's like, the dog is there, and I, th I thought for sure this fucking dog was going to get stabbed. Dude, they play with your emotions here. Oh, man. 
man. I was like, oh, man. This works really well because you're sitting there cringing. Like, oh, he's going to kill the fucking dog. Like, this son of a bitch. They got to kill the dog, of course. And then Stephanie comes in. And it's like, ah, I'm home. And the dog runs off. And Terry O'Quinn's like, all right. I guess the dog gets to live another fucking day. Yeah. And then we get this fucking scene that is just bizarre. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, and then I'll my my. I'm not agreeing with it, but my counter. I have a counter argument to it. Sure, because we see this actress. Um, she goes to take a shower. She's supposed to be 16. Yes. Yeah. Hard confirmation that the character she's playing is 16, a minor. Yeah, like right before this. Yeah. Yeah. She strips down totally nude to take a shower, which you know I guess that's what you do, obviously. But I just it it was just such a weird thing to me because it's just like sure here's that ghost shark reference like we were talking about that last year how it's like they keep talking about how this girl's underage she's underage she's underage but she's the motherfucker that was in the bathtub naked yeah same kind of thing i mean well not not the same thing but similar right but we have full there's full frontal (laughs) and a butt yeah and it's like whoa and there's no cutaway and like that yep yeah and like as as soon as the butt happened i was like okay movie like what the fuck are we doing here and then when she turns around, I was like, you need to be have a fucking talking to movie, okay? Like, what the fuck was that about? Yeah. Like, gratuitous is one thing, but, like, this is gratuitous, and then you've also told us that this character is 16, so thanks for the extra creep factor. Many times throughout the film. Yes. Yes. So here's my counter-argument to that. There's actually two that kind of split off. The first one is the obvious one where it's a it's a fake out right so you think it's going to be like a classic psycho shower scene where she's in the shower and he's going to come up and kill her in the shower okay oh yeah but then the on the other token it's which kind of plays into that but it's like the vulnerability of her yes being young being completely stripped of her clothing and being in that in that state of of you know, kind of naked to the world, sort of. Yeah. If that makes sense. And that's a scary thing in itself. Um, I don't think that's what the director intended. Maybe he did. I mean, this is a very cerebral type film. Sure. I, I could see where you're coming from 100%. I, I, it's just, it took me out of the film. But when you put it that way, you're right. It, it's not about it being this underage chick or, you know, this this actress, however you want to paint the picture. It's, it's about, like you, what you just said, she's totally vulnerable. She couldn't do shit if this guy came in. No, it's not like Jason Voorhees' boobs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, yeah, totally. It's just weird. Part of the problem is, like, regardless of intent, the way it comes off when it's filmed is like, oh, okay, you just did that, and I didn't want it. It's very gratuitous. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Well, while she's showering, before he can get up there and take care of her, the doorbell rings. <sighs> and uh, Dick Halloran from The Shining walks in. <laughs> gets, gets an axe right in the fucking chest. Dude, this guy, okay, here's the thing. And this is like... One, this is a super unsatisfactory end to a subplot. And two, it makes all the work this guy supposedly did, like, once the moment comes, it's like your time to shine, like, you need to rise to fucking action. His only response is to tremble and then not successfully grab the gun that he finally has and just get stabbed to death. What a fucking putz. I kind of love it. I love it too. I love it because it's hysterical and also it's kind of like it, it is um it is subverting what you expect this guy's going to come in and do. And it's a red herring. Yeah. You think this guy's going to come in and save the fucking day and he and he fumbles around with a gun that's that's 
fucking stuck in the the material in his jacket pocket and he gets fucking taken out it's not that simple though right because he comes in and in my opinion he should have had the gun drawn to begin with oh yeah but he comes in the house because nobody's answering the door that's his first big mistake he runs in there without like not being ready for violence right and he knows that this guy is a is a killer so it's jerry's behind the door and he closes the door and he's like, hey, Jim. And that already stuns Jim because he doesn't expect him to be like, wait, what? Right there. And not only that, but like to say his name and to be like, and he says his whole name, Oglavery or whatever the fuck his name is. Ogilvy. Ogilvy. He's like, how you been? How's everything? And he's like, uh, he's like, you got blood on your face. And like Terry O'Quinn like reaches up and he's got a big bloody hand and a knife. And then as soon as that exchange happens and they look at each other, fucking Terry goes after him and and this guy's trying to pull the fucking gun out. Like, he's completely stunned, right? Oh, yeah. And I think that's that's just what happens. I mean, he's just... No, yeah. And he didn't prepare himself when he walked in. Anyway, he gets fucking gutted right on the fucking... Well, like like Connor said, it's it's disappointing in one perspective of this guy's storyline just is like, you know... It ends too soon, but also, like, if you think about it, again, like like I was kind of saying earlier in the movie where the first scene you see his family just kind of all in that same room because they probably didn't know how to react as people were getting butchered it's it's exactly he he wanted to kill this guy but also he doesn't know how to react to the situation and, and he pays for it yeah sure does the only way i could improve this is like he still gets stabbed but like has maybe a hand in the final confrontation then still slumps over dead i thought that was going to come later but i'm glad he just stays dead oh yeah <laughs> his his corpse became became like a running joke every time it appeared in the scene i'm like there's the fucking there's a totem to your failure <laughs> yeah oh jim well in, in the time that it takes jerry to kill jim uh stephanie has gotten out of the shower next time jim call before you stomp by <laughs> she's gotten out of the shower and that's where you get that scene joe was kind of talking about that builds the tension of her being in there and terry o'quinn goes into the bathroom and sees she's no longer in there but she's, like, down the hallway. She's not really that far away from the guy. He goes to fucking stab her, and she, like, catches it, like, in the towel and dodges it and jumps in back into the bathroom. She pulls Luke Skywalker's uh, slatty slide from The Last Jedi. She- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She fucking runs into this bathroom, dude, and this scene is, is terrifying, too, because, like... Oh, my God. Terry O'Quinn's acting is just so fucking good. There's, like, a mirror on the back of this bathroom door, and he's pounding on it with this with the butt of this fucking knife and every time he hits it it's like denting the fucking door and when we say, and when you say pounding like it is it is like a throttling that he is just constantly slamming this like you know mile a minute just screaming oh he's vi- he's violently beating a door in with and the mirror on it really helps this because like you get a sense of how much his aggression is increasing when the mirror starts to crack and fall apart like, and then it shatters he's beating on this door so fucking uh so fucking hard and aggressively that he's breaking things that are attached to it so she can't get out of this bathroom so she grabs like a, a hand towel and like picks up a shard of glass like as a knife i'm sorry i couldn't help it <laughs> <laughs> well and then we, we do get unfortunately a uh error here uh, but I think the shot's so fucking amazing, I don't really care. I love it, dude, because he fucking finally breaks this door and fucking blows through the fucking glass door, like, through the door and through the mirror onto the floor. And the, and the error, it would be that the mirror was being shattered previously and it's totally intact when he jumps through it, but... Oh, yeah, it's a full plate. Sure. It looks amazing, so whatever. It's so dope. <laughs> 
doing a movie on a budget. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, she stabs him in the arm and then fucking gets around him. And she she goes through, like, the, you know, old houses. They I mean, I guess maybe they still do this, but they have, like, that, you know, the laundry room or the laundry closet that's, like, built into the wall and there's, like, the attic uh, right above it. She crawls up into there. That actually fucked me up for a second because she opened that door. I was like, fuck, dead end. And then she starts climbing the shelves. I'm like, where are you going? <laughs> this scene, this is a, per- remember, I, I've described this on the, I described this on the Black Christmas episode about how my attic is. This is exactly how it is. It's this little scuttle that's in a closet and y- you just, you can barely fit your body through it. And then when you get upstairs, it's this giant fucking attic. Yeah. With shit in it. And so she, she goes up there and he's kind of like right on her fucking heels and she slides his fucking sled at his head. <laughs> Dude, I was hoping that it was going to clock him in the fucking dome, but it doesn't. I laughed so fucking hard when he pops his head up, and then from off camera, a slide just comes in and nearly takes his fucking head off. He fucking smacks it out of the way and jumps up into the attic, and we get the patented Uncle Frank line here. Oh, yeah. He drops he drops a few come to daddies. Oh, he's fu- he fucking goes, come to daddy. And fucking starts going after her. Yeah, she's trying to hide. He he chases her out of the attic, and uh, as he's as she's trying to go back through like that little hole, he's not really being careful where he's fucking stepping, and he like steps on the fiberglass in this in the floor and just goes right through it into the fucking bathroom below him. He fucking Clark Clark Griswold. Yeah, <laughs> right through the fucking ceiling. This is the beginning of like I think a really satis- satisfying beatdown this guy takes because one like he gets stabbed and like. And then two, he fucking falls through the ceiling. And the way they film his his landing is, like, he lands on his ankles and then has his feet, like, his legs flap from underneath him. He lands on his ass. I'm like, that fucking hurt. Like, oh, it sure did. That's bone shattering. They try to do this in the remake, and it's, like, this stupid thing where, like, he's working on the attic, replacing the floorboards because of termites. And I'm like, you don't even need that, dude. If you step in between the fucking stringers, you're going through the fucking ceiling. I mean, my dad did it. <laughs> I don't care if it's plaster and lath or fucking sheetrock. You're going through the fucking floor. Oh, yeah. yeah. She goes back down there, and she knows he's in the bathroom, but the bathroom's kind of in between the stairs and her... So she's, like, really just going slow, kind of watching the stairs, watching the bathroom door, watching the stairs, watching the bathroom door. And she gets to the top of the stairs, and she feels like the coast is clear. And her mother, who has basically crawled, just picture this, from the basement to the fucking kitchen to now, like, the midpoint of the stairwell, and at some point grabbed Jim's gun on the ground during all this? Yeah, she's at the landing of the stairs that go up, up, upstairs, up, upstairs. And she's like, oh, Stephanie, get out of here. She's like, Murphy, I'm a mess. <laughs> Terry fucking appears and, like, grabs her by the fucking face and, like, throws her into the corner. And he, like, goes down to kill Susan, and she fucking shoots him in the arm. She unloads on his ass. Yeah, well, and then he starts, he's like, oh, fuck, well, I'm not going that way. So he goes up <laughs> to kill <laughs> Stephanie. Danger down below. <laughs> yeah, so then she shoots him, like, in the back, and he, like, falls, drops the knife. And then she shoots him in the ass, and he fucking collapses on the stairs. And then it's like this race to get the butcher knife between uh, Stephanie and 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 Terry O'Quinn. Right, because the 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 handgun's out of bullets. Yeah. Um, spoilers. Uh, Steph gets there, picks up the fucking knife, and stabs him in the fucking heart. And he like stands up, and he's just like completely stunned. And he's, like, trying to say I love you, 
and then falls backwards down the fucking stairs into the railing. Yeah, and it's just, that's that. Yeah, and the extra effect of him hitting the railing and having it break not all the way, but just enough to, like, come separate from the wall is a really cool effect. It's cool because, like, that shit was sturdy as fuck, and you hit it hard enough to where it broke a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that hurt like a motherfucker. And then they pan out, and you see Jim's fucking failure of a body just... <laughs> sitting there. <laughs> there he is. Poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? Honestly, like, Connor, you say you wanted to see him come in at the last minute and help save the day and still die. I mean, let's be real. If he didn't come in and get killed... You know, Susan doesn't have a fucking gun to defend her daughter. Yeah, I also wouldn't have this mountain of comedy at the expense of his body. Like, just... <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. I think that would cheapen it, though, if he was like, I'm still kind of awake. I'm still not dead all the way. Kaplooey. Like, I like that. Like This he- isn't fucking Die Hard. We don't need Carl Winslow blowing Vigo away at the end. <laughs> No. Well, excuse me, Sigvaltson. Yes, Sigvaltson. Well, well, death is a door, all right? <laughs> Time is Time, a time window. Is a window. He'll be back. You know, I would have been satisfied with the movie ending here, but the fucking cherry on top. Yeah. They cut to later. They don't really specify when, but they cut to the backyard, and... Stephanie has this fucking, like, saw, this this electric saw, just cutting the fucking birdhouse down. Yeah, it's a sawzall. And uh, it hits the ground, and her and mom go inside, and... Uh, Credits. Fade to black. Yeah. I love this movie. Yeah, yeah this, this fucking rules. Yeah. So much. <laughs> um, I'm glad that, like, two of the the movies and like see here's the thing this isn't a slasher but i'm sure it is widely regarded to be in like the slasher pantheon um and i'm glad between this and black christmas that we watched two of the most like cerebral intelligent um uh reserved and like conservative horror movies that you could mistake for a slasher on the surface um but actually don't have a large body count and spend a lot of time just building up tension and making you nervous and making you uneasy and you know everything is is it's a boiling pot of water as opposed to a fucking you know a a a bowl like a pot of popcorn that's going off absolutely sure and i mean we've talked about that on the show uh in the past about how like you don't need a body count for a movie to be good like sometimes you kind of need it. Depends on the movie, but... Uh... What are you talking about, Sean? I need tits and I need blood, because that's what makes a horror movie. It's been 75 seconds. Someone hasn't been decapitated. Where's the boobs? Listen, like, I love Friday fucking 6 more than anybody else. Sure. But, like, not every movie needs to be a bloodbath. Like, y- you can get away with one or two kills and make a movie fucking... In- you know, intense. Yeah, and, like, Friday 6 is, like, making your head spin with how much is going on in that movie. Well, they knew what they were making. Well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a sixth entry in the franchise, guys. Come on. So where are we putting this? Uh, shelf. Undisputedly on the shelf. Um, or irrefutably. Whatever the word is. Um, this is captivating and really interesting and, like I said, cerebral and smart and isn't preoccupied with trying to do anything super cheap um, and there's a lot of little seeds that are planted everywhere that either have decent payoff or kind of just are designed to be nebulous. Um, all the performances are great. Uh, when there is violence, it is shocking and appalling and uncomfortable and, and really, really hard hitting and mean spirited, but it works for every scene it's in. Um, uh, and the beating this guy takes at the end, he gets the old Pennywise special. He gets fucking just beat from pillar to post. It's awesome. 
uh, yeah, this is super satisfying. It's absolutely on the shelf. Uh, it's it's definitely on the shelf for me for sure. I hadn't seen this in a long time, and I'm glad um, Sean had brought it up uh, to want to do it again and to revisit it because it's such a strong fucking movie. And I'm gonna go in on what Connor said um, with the comparisons between like this and and Black Christmas and that type of cerebral horror that I feel like is just not utilized enough nowadays. Um, cause when the violence comes in this movie, it fucking comes hard and fast and it's shocking. And, um, you're already on the edge of your seat just from the tense moments that it, that it kind of strings together and like, what's going to happen? You know, is she, you know, who's, who's going to believe her or like, who's, who's he going to hurt next? Is he going to slip up here? Is somebody going to figure him out? You know? And it, and it, the movie hinges on that, um, and kind of this again, like I've said, the psychosis of this man, and kind of like what that's about, without um, giving him some bullshit backstory where it's like, well, when he was a kid, he was beat, and then whatever, and blah 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 blah. Shit, I don't need to know. Um, which makes it even scarier because you get little tastes of his background, which is plenty to play with. And yeah, it's just a super well-made movie. I mean, uh. There was a couple times where I fucking shouted, like, at the screen, like, when when Doc gets bludgeoned with the fuck, like, he's already hitting, so, so what happens in that scene is, like, uh, Doc is, like, getting hit with the two-by-four, like, in his arms, and then he's like, well, you know, uh, how'd you figure me out? And, he, and the Doc, like, says, oh, you know, uh, uh, what does he say? He says some shit like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just here for the house. That's already bad, but then he just goes full fucking psycho and just smashes this guy's head and, you know, they don't cut away. It's really, like, impactful. That, and then when fucking Jim gets stabbed, I was like, oh, jeez, like, I, I was like, oh, fuck, like, I thought there would be, like, a little bit of a struggle, but he just gets fucking stabbed, and I was like, I, like, yelled out loud. Um, I love the, how sharp this film uh, looks and is written and it takes its time and you can tell that it was it was crafted um rather than just kind of slapped together um and then sean had mentioned at the beginning like you know the director his intentions wasn't just to make another slasher film it's it's not it just isn't uh the second film becomes that and the third one obviously um and even the remake is that um not to the same effect um and again this i don't mind the second film but the first film is a one and done for me. Like this is near per a near perfect film. Um, and it's almost like, like when you watch this movie, it's almost like you've already seen this guy's other escapades. Like it, it's that kind of feeling where it, it kind of tricks you into thinking you've been with this guy, uh, for a long time and like followed him and his blood trail. And this is kind of the, uh, the, uh, uh um, you know, the high point of his, uh, high point, uh, the climax, you know, this is the climax uh, of his story, which it is. Um, yeah, it's just super fucking well made. Uh, you can keep the sequels. The second one's fine in like a Dr. Giggles kind of way. <laughs> okay. But yeah, shelf. Yeah, this is a shelf movie. Easy. Um, like Joe said, uh, I brought this movie up because about maybe, maybe a few months back, I was just looking for something to watch, and uh, I saw Terry O'Quinn, and I was like, oh, yes, please, let's watch this. But uh, he was John Locke on Lost, one of my all-time favorite shows, and John Locke was my favorite character on that show. I just, I love Terry O'Quinn, and I think he's kind of one of those really underrated actors that people don't think of uh, when they think of great actors, if that makes any sense. 
And this was apparently, like, one of his first roles, uh, especially in a leading sense, and he fucking kills it, uh, figuratively and literally. And uh, I I don't know what else I could really add that uh, Joe and Connor already haven't said. Um, It's it's not the perfect Father's Day movie, but it's definitely the perfect Stepfather's Day movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, man. And, uh, you know, I've been thinking about where to put it in the uh, Baldwin statue, and, uh, you know, I, I was thinking and thinking and thinking, much like uh, Blossom from The Christmas That Almost Wasn't. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I think the Baldwin face, you know, the uh, that beautiful mug on our uh, patron saint of the MDU. Subjective, but yes. Sure. Is uh, in, in this uh, bubblegum statue. And, and if you guys don't know what I'm talking about at home, that's totally fine. <laughs> I don't blame anybody who's confused right now. But uh, I'm talking about, you know, the Hey Arnold bubblegum statue like Helga Pataki had in her closet. But it's Daniel Baldwin. We got the gin bottles building out the arms and the legs. We got hamburger bags. We've got old cigarette butts. We, You know, anything nasty that Baldwin is associated with is here. But, you know, I say it in a loving way. You know, we have the dumpster for all the shit that we have to, you know, push down into the dirt. And, you know, some stuff, you know, it's just in there because, uh, you know, it's it's not great, but it's good, at least in my opinion. But uh, just to get back to what I was trying to say here, I think Baldwin's face in this uh, scenario is made out of, like, rhinestones. <laughs> and uh, this movie is uh, one of... It's bedazzled. Exactly. It is one of those fucking rhinestones. Um, I, I, yeah, I was going to say it was the crown, but when we did... Um, when we did John Carpenter's Vampires, we talked about how it was his crown... Uh, was that movie because it was like his, you know, crowning achievement in acting and everything. But uh, with that said, I think like to go any higher as far as quality of film on the Baldwin shelf or whatever the fuck I'm calling this, I think I got to go with the rhinestone face, uh, which, you know, elevates it above the crown in my mind. And uh, if I was looking at a literal shelf, I think it would be pretty fucking high up there uh, for an unknown film. I mean, I say it's unknown because I haven't heard anyone talk about this fucking movie ever. Um, I don't know if you guys have. Um, I, again, like I had seen it a while ago, and I haven't, um, I haven't seen anybody particularly like review it or anything. I've, I've seen a few people have been watching it or, or what have you like that, but not actually like deep dive into it. Yeah, I, I don't hear this movie get brought up too often, and and that's a fucking shame because you know, say what you will about the sequels, like I might check them out eventually, at least the second one, just out of morbid curiosity. Um, but. Hopefully I'm not talking in too much of a circle here, but yeah, rhinestones on uh, a garbage body of Daniel Baldwin, and that's, you know, that's obviously the only real positive part of the body. I mean, we have that vault that's embedded in his chest with a portal, but, hmm. um, you know, we only keep, like, the the pretty good movies in there, which, you know, is, you know, nothing to sneeze at, but uh, if, if you get on his face, you know, like, like basically it's like... Uh, acne all over his fucking face you know I, I could see the man having acne which is not you know maybe uh that's unfair to people that suffer that condition but uh, in Baldwin's case uh it's a beautiful rhinestones uh you know shakes the clowns probably there uh the lawnmower man's there I'm not sure if they are on his forehead his cheeks or his chin but they're all up there beautiful I hope that made some modicum of sense <laughs> <laughs> I was going to add something to Joe, your bit. Are you saying you'd be unhappy if someone was like, well, you see, he was bitten by a radioactive stepfather when he was little, and that's why he's the way. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been stepfather three, but it just wasn't, you know? So now he, has, he will grow up to become an evil stepfather. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, it, 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 so if I had to put this uh, between two movies, it would be um, Black Christmas and My Bloody Valentine, I think, on the shelf. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's where this goes. I'm going to take the chance to, once again, champion the movie Borgman on this show. I'm going to put it right between that um, and uh, Black Christmas, like you just said. Um, uh, I don't know if I talked about Borgman on the show last time or it was off mic i don't know what the fuck that is i told you about this i sent you a trailer for it it's that swiss movie about the uh oh yes that's right yes 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 the vagrant the vagrants who move in on a wealthy family and slowly dominate the household with like psychological torture and like manipulation and just like super underhanded stuff um it is like it's a it, like you can almost see it like a home invasion kind of movie, but it's slow burn, and this is also like a slow burn home invasion movie where you do have an intruder who is coming in and taking you in the household, but it's you know it's not instead of a, a single evening of bloodshed, it's you know it's a long game. Yeah, I didn't really think of. I was trying to put it between movies that are like around the same time, but if yeah, if you're yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna spin it like that, then I'd say like yeah like like Parasite kind of. There's definitely some shit going on like that uh yeah if you and if there's people who uh are interested in that movie please go find it i don't know where it's streaming i have no idea <laughs> i don't know i'll find it. i need to see it i definitely need to see it and to close that out we have one more episode this month guys yo yeah we got the uninvited coming up can't wait to do that cat on the cruise ship we're fucking kicking off the summer like the, the start of the summer dropping that fucking boy i'm excited for that george kennedy Clue Gallagher, mm-hmm. fucking be there. Oh, yeah. It's on the MD guide. You can't miss it. If you haven't put it together yet, it's not the terrible remake of A Tale of Two Sisters. No, it's no. not. You know, depending on who you ask, for better or worse. It's a poisonous mutant cat that lives inside a regular cat. It's already better. <laughs> so that's it. That's The Stepfather from 1987, directed by Joseph Rubin. Hey, everybody, if you want some more bad movie goodness, you can check us out at moviedumpsterpodcast.com. Subscribe to us anywhere you listen to your podcast, and make sure to leave us a five-star review if you dig the show, because it helps us get out of the bottom of the dumpster and into more eardrums. Yeah, and if you're on the social medias, you can follow us at Movie Dumpster on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm Joe LaScola. I'm Sean O'Rourke. I'm Connor. Give us five stars on iTunes, McGraw. Thanks for visiting the dumpster. The receptionist said that you left. That idiot. That new girl can't... Susan, I never got anyone fired in my life, but that girl, I don't know. You mean you still work there? Of course. Where else would I be? I don't know. I just... I don't know what I thought. I'm sorry. This is very upsetting. Old man Grace is still there. No, forget it, honey. Forget it. She probably just got the name wrong or something. Hodgkins, what's to get wrong? What did you say? Huh? Wait a minute. Who am I here? Jerry. Jerry. Jerry Blake. Thank you, honey.